Another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello, Andrea. Hi, how's it going? You are delirious, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm back on my lo- wonderful, lovely elemental diet to help alleviate some symptoms of the gut variety that I have. And so, what this requires of me is to drink this nasty ass. Stale dog piss taste and drink for two <laughs> weeks straight. Get about 500 calories a day. And oh, my God. Don't worry. You're really it. selling it. Oh, it's so. No, stay far away. Deal. Suffer your symptoms. Don't do what I'm doing. <laughs> it is crazy to think about sometimes medical treatments being far worse than the thing that they're trying to treat. And it's like, why am I doing this to myself? I, I don't know. understand. I know. I'm trying to tell myself two weeks of hell for about six months of pleasure It'll be worth it, but my God, I can smell every little particle of food that's within like a mile of me right now. I'm like a dog. Do you need, do you need some cat treats? Is that what you're trying to say? Oh my God, I would take some cat <laughs> treats right now. We did it once. We ate cat it treats once on bad. social media. And they, well, no, the first taste wasn't bad, but then as it, it kind of festered in your mouth a little bit, and then it tasted very, um, what was the word someone used? The cat treats. Tasted um, nutty, not nutty, but weird. It just tasted weird. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember the I would have to go back and watch the video. Maybe it's like down somewhere in the bowels of the Internet or it's lost to time. Yeah. I bet you somebody knows exactly where it is. Oh, no, that video is still <laughs> around. I'm sure. We were kind of tipsy. Well, you may have noticed if you were watching this video at YouTube.com slash What's Good Games that we are down a host this week. Miss Christine Steimer is taking the week off. Um, She has some family stuff going on, so she is going to be back next week, we hope. But until then, don't worry. Britt and I are holding down the fort. We've got lots to talk about this week, including... This crazy Xbox streaming device news. We've got Days Gone to discuss, and Britt is super pumped to talk about Devil May Cry 5. But before we get to that, we've got a few announcements. First up, if you guys have missed it, we put up two special episodes over the last week. The Division 2, recreated in Washington, D.C., is available wherever you listen to What's Good Games. And we also have Days Gone, creating narrative in an open world. Maybe I used crafting? I don't remember the word I used in the title. I feel title. like I used crafting. I feel like crafting. Probably crafting. Um, there is a video for the Days Gone vid- um interview that has brand new gameplay in it that you can find on our YouTube channel or of course you can listen to my interview with John Garvin from Sony Bend on the same platform that you listen to What's Good Games on as well. We hope that you guys enjoy those special episodes. Um, We've got some cool guests coming on for GDC, the Game Developers Conference, which is happening so soon. And don't forget we've got our fantastic What's Good Games Live PAX East panel 
happening in Boston at the Boston Convention Center on Thursday, March 28th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the Bobcat Theater. We are still finalizing the details of the meet and greet. I know people just aren't responding to my emails about requests for tables and stuff. Don't worry. We'll get it sorted out soon. And I want to toss it to you, Britt, to talk about our fantastic streams that we have coming up. Oh, man, oh, man. So Saturday, March 16th is our Patreon Town Hall at 2 p.m. Pacific. We are going to be unveiling some of the new changes coming to our Patreon tiers and the way we do things. Nothing too crazy. Nothing to get your panties in a tight and twisted bundle over. We're not shattering the universe with any of these announcements. But either way, it'll be fun. The stream is open to everyone. So come and hang out with us and it'll be it'll be a good time. And maybe we can do some pre now we can't do any pre St. Patty's Day stuff on the sixteenth, can we? That's not a lot. Why not? I don't know. I don't I want to I mean, be could, cool. We could do green face paint all weekend if we wanted to. Oh my god, yes. This is oh, look at I already got I already got it in my nails. I got shamrocks on my nails. Oh, are those green? Yeah. They look re- they look like a beautiful sky blue right now on the camera. They're like a mint green, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit darker than a mint green, like the color of a shamrock shake you get at McDonald's. Oh god, why, Andrea? Why that sounds so good. <laughs> Doesn't it? So- and then the clovers, um the shamrocks are like a darker green sparkle polish. Well, that's cute. I might have to copy you. I have to get my nails yeah. done before I it come. It turned by. out pretty good. I was very happy with it. They're really cute. Um and then Thanks. Sunday, March 17th, <laughs> It's Green Beer Day, Andrea has in our notes. <laughs> and we are doing our Patreon-only streams, which is our happy hour Q&A, and our after-hour stream at 12 p.m. and 2 p.m. respectively Pacific time. So those are our Patreon-only streams, and we'll be drinking green beer, taking your questions, probably eating a lot of green things. Oh, my God, we have that um, space uh, astronaut ice cream from the Space Museum. Oh, yes. I think I have it. I thought I brought it out to the studio. Oh. It may, well, maybe it's in my backpack. Yes. So when we were at the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., we saw this astronaut ice cream and we're like, that's good content right there. So we bought some. <laughs> and then Steimer apparently told us that she loves astronaut ice cream. We didn't know. I mean, I'm not surprised. Yeah, we know. She does like a lot of food. It's true. Yeah. She likes sweet things because yeah. she's so salty. She needs to balance it out with sugary foods. I like to think that's why she has me in her life. But I mean, that's fine. <laughs> That's okay. Well, that that too. Just imagine you with two hands full of donuts. It's like Simer's dream. In a cape. <laughs> I have and to have in a, a cape. cape on. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. um, speaking of capes, that made me think of that lovely Valentine's Day postcard you made. And Valentine's Day and the fact that, whoops, we forgot to post the February secret segment. Um, so we discovered this this week while Britt was reminding me very aptly that I forgot to post my Patreon vlog, which you can now watch, of course, at patreon.com slash what's good games as part of all tiers of Patreon and is exclusive and always will be exclusive to Patreon. She was like, hey, um, did we ever post the secret segment for February? And I was like, um, whoops. I was like, I remember shooting it and looking at the video. Didn't we not post it? We totally forgot. Nope. And it's a Valentine's Day themed secret segment where we talk about what it means to be a young child on Valentine's Day. And then it devolved quickly into a game of MASH. Oh, my so, God. So good. <laughs> it, was, um, it was a pretty fun episode. And you can now watch that at patreon.com slash what's good games if you are in the secret segment here and above and again sincerest apologies that we had posted it late we just completely forgot february was gone in a flash poof over 
poof, over, done, game over. But here we yep. are in March somehow. Exactly. And we got lots more games to talk about. So before we jump into the news, we want to give a big shout out and thank you to our sponsor for this week's episode, Stitch Fix. We love Stitch Fix here at What's Good Games. In fact, I just got a box this week, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But in case you aren't familiar with what Stitch Fix is, it's an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and your lifestyle. Just go to Stitch Fix dot com slash what's good and tell them your sizes what styles you like and how much you want to spend on each item you'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick items to send right to your door then you try them on pay only for what you love and return the rest shipping exchanges and returns are always free there's no subscription required and you can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your fix whenever you want stitch fix styling fee is only twenty dollars and it's applied toward anything you keep from your shipment and speaking of keeping things from your shipment, this month, well, actually, I have to, I, this is my second box uh, in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, um, I specifically asked my stylist for a spring complete outfit, and boy, did she deliver. I got this super cute cold shoulder blouse with this really pretty silver pendant necklace and a pair of white denim crop pants, and let me tell you, I have been searching for the perfect pair of white pants for years i have a terrible habit of always buying a pair of white pants and then getting them home and trying them on again and going nope i really don't like these and then return them i have not successfully purchased a pair of white pants in probably a decade and then lo and behold stitch fix sends me this magic pair of white pants i'm so excited about it oh my god i just try to stay away from white in general because if i wear something that's white i spill on it it's just like the law of my life no, that for you, I would definitely recommend <laughs> not getting white pants. <laughs> I say that now, and I'm definitely going to spill something on them within the first week of wearing them. I can, I can feel it. If you want to get started and find your personal favorite item, get your booty over to stitchfix.com slash what's good. You're going to get an extra 25% off when you keep all of the items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash what's good to get started today. One more time, stitchfix.com slash what's good. All right, on to the news. And right as we were getting ready to record, we got a piece of breaking news from Nintendo. Nintendo Labo VR has been announced. It was so funny. I found out about this because John texted me and was like, OMG, did you see the Nintendo news? I was like, what Nintendo news? He was like, I called it Nintendo VR. And I was like, what do you mean Nintendo VR? And then I looked, pulled up the link and I was like, oh, it's cardboard VR. Uh. This is weird. Um, so let me read the little blurb that Game Informer put on their website. Abruptly today, Nintendo has announced the fourth Labo kit, a cardboard enclosure for the Switch itself to transform the system into a makeshift VR headset. Similar to mobile phone VR and its cardboard headsets, Labo VR is a shell which players put the actual Switch inside of and view distinct images produced by the halves of the screen with each eye. Joy-Cons are attached to the sides of the headset to track motion as you move your head around. The package has come as a starter kit. I love that you're like... I'm trying to work this out in my head. (laughs) Even if you look at the photos, it's kind of hard to understand. The package comes as a starter kit, which has the headset and a gun attachment with it, with a variety kit. The latter includes other items 
seen in the initial Labo reveal video last year, including a bird, a camera, a wind pedal, and an elephant. The extra items in the variety kit can also be purchased separately. Nintendo hasn't detailed the software that will come with the variety kit, but the ESRB rating suggests fantasy violence. Considering it comes with a blaster, we can only assume that much like most VR games, it will probably be a shooter. The VR kit for Labo releases on Switch on April 12th. Oh, this is so funny to me. This is just hilarious. So when Andrea told me about this, right, when we were getting ready to hop on and chat about it or shoot the show, she was like, Nintendo VR. And like instantly my first thought went to like banging Link in VR. Like, I'm sorry, (laughs) but that's where my mind went. And I'm not ashamed of it. But then I clicked on the link and it's like Nintendo Labo VR. And I was like, of course, (gasps) of course, it's Nintendo Labo VR. Um, you know, I'm looking at these these pictures, um, and there's a woman with uh, an elephant. She has built an elephant out of Labo, and she... So let me... Yeah, let's describe this for people who are <laughs> listening to the show and maybe have not seen these wacky pictures. So imagine in my left hand, I'm holding the chin of the elephant, and the ears are on either side of my face and his trunk is facing outward. So your eyes are essentially like behind the elephant eyes. And then in my, oh, sorry, that was my right hand that I'm holding the chin of the elephant's face. In my left hand, I'm holding the end of the elephant's trunk. So there's a piece of cardboard that attaches to the face that looks like a trunk. Inside the trunk, is where you place the Joy-Cons. So there's one Joy-Con right where it attaches to the face of the elephant, and there's another Joy-Con on the end of the trunk. And then the switch is behind the eyeballs and goes up against your eyes. I just, I don't, I don't understand. It's like I told Andrea, I said, this is the Nintendo-fied VR. This is create your own VR, (laughs) VR kit. Like most people are like, here's this cool like com- like PlayStation and-, and Oculus. Like here's this VR set, nice and compact and made for you. And Nintendo's like, nah, bitches, you're yeah. gonna make your fucking VR headset. And that's kind of what this is: VR in a box. With yeah, cardboard. so it's it's important to remember that this does not have any kind of apparatus to attach it to your face. So you constantly have to hold the cardboard up to your eyes while you're playing it. So there's a there's a, a kid who probably looks like he's in his like mid-teens who is holding either side of the Joy-Cons. He's got the red and the blue Joy-Cons on the Switch. And then there's the cardboard that is clearly around the body of the Switch that is then he's sticking his face into. So he's literally holding his Switch up to his face. <gasps> All these people are holding a Switch <laughs> up to their face. That's what and it's like, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> what this is about this, or why this exists. This is the most <laughs> Nintendo thing ever. Now, granted, I do applaud, applaud them for innovation. And I know there are some people out there, parents in particular, and teachers who love Labo and love the experiences it allows them to give their children and their students. And I'm sure those people are equally as excited about this. But when, Nintendo fa- when a Nintendo fan such as myself hears Nintendo VR, this obviously isn't what we're expecting but I guess it makes sense because, you know, it, it is Nintendo and they all, as always, march to the beat of their own drum. And I think that's exactly what they're doing here. I just can't stop at laugh. I can't help but <laughs> laugh. Like these people are literally holding a switch up to their eyeballs. And then they have these yeah. Joy-Cons in these most random positions. 
and uh, sorry, I can't stop. And and so just to be to be clear, it's not just like they're holding the switch like straight to their no. eyes. On the other side of the cardboard, there does appear to be two individual lenses that you would hold up to your eyes to obviously do the the virtual reality effect. It's not like you're just having a piece of cardboard around your switch and holding it up, <laughs> even though like it does look very much like that from the other side. Um, there are little lenses, but again, there's nothing to hold the apparatus to your head at all. You have to physically hold the device to your face. Right. Um, so yeah. I'm just, I, uh, I'm just once again confused about like who this is for. I, I, I guess I think teachers is the best solution here for educational purposes because clearly you don't want to be giving this to children who are too young because now you're putting the $300 plus switch maybe with your custom Joy-Cons, maybe with your second set of Joy-Cons on it inside this cardboard box that you're holding to your face and if you accidentally drop it, you know, you could damage the console. And I know that that's a concern with Switch no matter if you're holding it to your face or if you're holding it in your lap, right? Right. But I just think that you're setting yourself up to potentially have more accidents when it's inside this weird apparatus instead of holding it by the grips that are built into the switch itself. <clears throat> yeah, and I, you know, like I said earlier, I don't want to discredit because we asked the same question, right, when Labo was first announced, who is this for? And we did get a lot of feedback from not only parents, <clears throat> excuse me, parents, but people our age or older or even younger who just said, hey, I mm -hmm. like crafting and Nintendo Labo is something fun. It reminds me of Legos or whatever connects or whatever it was that we did back in the day where you get to, like, to build something out of almost nothing in this case out of cardboard and I'm sure as you know a parent especially this is a fun activity to partake in with your child and VR is really cool um, especially if you're younger you know and it's a cool concept it's just it's so Nintendo fied that it just makes me giggle and it makes me laugh it's kind of like when they try to reinvent the wheel now, this is part of why I love Nintendo, right? They're always doing the next thing, and it has paid off for them tremendously. But it's just, yes. you know, it's like one of those things. It's like, ah, that's that's adorable. It's cute, and it's just kind of funny. These pictures are killing me. I can't keep this website up any longer. I'm just looking at it's, these people. So I, I do want to clarify that I was scrolling down this, the site, and I saw the one for the robot. And it does appear that the robot piece, that the robot kit, has a headset that you put... Um, where you can attach it to your head so you can use your hands to hold the Joy-Cons. Uh, and, like, the the demo looks cool when you look at the, the video online, but it's always going to be, you know, virtual reality is one of those things that's incredibly difficult to simulate in a 2D image without really seeing how it's going to translate in a virtual reality device, no matter what that device is. So um, I just want to be clear, like, we're not saying that all of the things are like that because I did find that the robot kit does have a separate headpiece apparatus that holds the Joy-Cons to the sides of your head, which is still odd. But listen, hey, if this is something that excites you, I'm not here to be like, you're wrong. You shouldn't like it. Go on with your bad self. Mm -hmm. Glue those pieces of cardboard together and have a fantastic time doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just, just I'm just confused by it. That's all. Yeah. Just, just because it's not for us doesn't mean it's not for others. And we understand that. It's, you know. Yes. I, yeah. It, yeah. It's a, it's a very Nintendo thing to do. And hey, more power to him for trying new things. Indeed. All right. Laugh. On to the next piece of news. Speaking of consoles, 
The Xbox Maverick console will be named Xbox One S All Digital Edition, and pre-orders begin in April 2019, according to Windows Central. Well, technically, the first details were from Brad Sams of Therot.com, but Microsoft has been experimenting with a discless Xbox One S console, codenamed Xbox Maverick, with a launch window thought to be around Q1 2019. Hint, that's now. According to our sources, we know a little bit more about the timing and marketing name of this intriguing new console. It's reportedly set to call the discless Maverick console the Xbox One S All Digital Edition. It looks as though it could be a near-global simultaneous launch for almost all existing Xbox markets. The discless Xbox One S would be first for the company, offering fans the ability to ditch discs altogether and go all-in on digital game licenses. As Microsoft pushes for greater access to its game library via things like Xbox Game Pass, digital subscriptions, and the incoming stream service project xCloud, dropping the disk drive from the all-digital edition should make it the cheapest Xbox console yet. Although we have no word on pricing or when the console will see any design refinements beyond simply dropping the disk drive. In addition to the discless Xbox One S all-digital edition, that's a mouthful, mm-hmm. uh, we've heard Xbox, uh, we've heard Microsoft may be gearing up to announce a Fortnite edition console with a custom Fortnite design rather than a simple game bundle. Now, it's unclear whether the Fortnite console would be a regular S, an X, or the discless version at this time, but we'll keep you posted as soon as we know more. As always, with these sort of, with these sort of rumors, take them with a pinch of salt until the official confirmation, as plans can and do change, but this is looking pretty solid right now. Losing the disk drive puts a limit on the amount of 4K content that you'll be able to consume on the Xbox, particularly outside the U.S., where 4K digital video offerings are lacking compared to physical 4K Blu-ray discs, but going all digital brings benefits like preloading games and instant refunds via the Microsoft accounts page. Now, whether or not the discless feature will extend to the rumored next-gen Xbox Anaconda and Lockhart console remains to be seen, but if the all-digital edition proves successful, it may tip Microsoft's hand. Also, I love how everyone's like, um, did nobody at Microsoft recognize that this actually (laughs) abbreviates into Xbox One Sad Edition? (laughs) I know. I saw that on our Facebook fan page. uh, And I was like, okay, someone's trolling. And then I Googled it and I was like, nope, this is a thing. This is an actual thing. How did they not see this coming? Yeah, no, I have to imagine that that's not the final name, right? Like that they'll (laughs) think of something more clever. I mean, Uh. I would hope so. But all that said, I think this makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if this is an actual thing that is happening if you look at, you know, how many people are consuming just digital media, um, I can't remember the last time I bought a disc for a game, a physical edition of a game. Now, granted, you know, I am in the fortunate position where I get a lot of review copies and those all come in the form, mostly come in the form of digital codes. But I used to be a tried and true collector in terms of I just wanted the physical discs so I can put them on my shelves so I can gawk at them and stare at them. Had nothing to do with security reasons or whatnot, but... I've just found it's such a less of a headache to get the digital copies of things. And so I imagine I'm not the only one who feels that way. So I think this makes perfect sense. You know, slash 50 bucks out on it, get a console for two, two, 200. How much are the Xbox One S's right now? 249, 249 I believe. yeah. Or maybe Sl- they're 199 now, or maybe that's just the sale price that I saw. I feel Let's like- look. Let's see. So I see an Xbox One S starter bundle for one terabyte for two ninety nine, but this gets you three months of Xbox Game Pass, Xbox Live Gold, and a controller. So that's technically a bundle. I'm not sure. Don't how. they have a five hundred gigabyte edition? I don't know if they sell those anymore. 
Let's look on Xbox.com and I, see what they have to say. Consoles. Consoles. Shop Xbox One S. Yeah, I'm here right now, and everything is two ninety nine. Wow, for some reason I thought for sure it was two forty nine. So it's the same price as the Switch then. Maybe the two forty nine price I saw was a was a sale price. Mm-mm. Either way. Yeah, so I guess yeah. I guess then, you know, if, if they drop the price by fifty bucks if they go diskless, I really think if they go diskless and they really want to push this, they really gotta drop it to one ninety nine. Oh. I mean, I don't know if they can and still make margin, <laughs> but I would hope that they'd be able to optimize the components inside and really slim down um, the form factor if it's streaming only to something much more compact and smaller. Even though the slim is a very nice design, I loved that they did the integrated power source so you don't have that clunky big brick anymore, which obviously they translated into the, the X as well. But, I mean, we knew this was coming, and it will be no surprise if Microsoft indeed announces this box, especially ahead of E3. But, I mean, these rumors are always like, okay, cool. And this is another one of those things that is a great option for people whose lifestyle can live in the cloud and people who love doing digital only and have access to high-speed internet but for most gamers out there, and I'm so glad that this article from Windows Central mentioned that outside of the United States, not only is broadband internet very sporadic, depending on which part of the world you live in, but also the ability to access 4K streaming, which has been a giant push for Xbox in this new generation. Well, not new, in this old generation <laughs> now. Um I just remember vividly when they announced the Slim and announced the X that 4K was such a big talking point for both of those consoles that the idea that, you know, you have to have a certain speed or bandwidth in order to do 4K is, you know, a concern for people. And also there's really, outside of video games and certain series on Netflix, there's really not a lot of streaming 4K content available. It's true. I think... Just like thinking about this and thinking about because something I was seeing a lot on social media is why would they launch this right now when we're assuming, you know, we're at the toward the end of this console generation? What would be the point of launching something like this now? And I would imagine, you know, if you can get this down to a lower price, a low enough price point, people who maybe have skipped out on the Xbox, you know, Xbox is clearly number two in this console race with PlayStation, like by a large margin. If you can make this attractive, especially at a time where, I mean, I think PlayStation has some exciting stuff coming up this year, like Days Gone and whatnot, but, you know, maybe the exclusives are uh, and you are interested in Game Pass, and if they can bundle this with Game Pass at an attractive price point, I think that's a good way to get extra Xboxes in people's homes, and then if you have them in one home, and then when you have these next generation consoles coming out, well, then you kind of already have an Xbox fan, right? And then maybe you can entice them to upgrade their hardware, and now you're selling more units. I absolutely agree with you. And I think if they really wanted to make it competitive, they would trim down the size of the box, maybe pull out some other features and really focus on digital only and make it like one forty nine ninety nine. dollars Make it a yeah. super competitive price point with some of the other boxes out there that are doing 4K, your, you know, your Chromecast Ultra. Let me look at actually how much that is. Your Roku's, things of that nature. Uh, He's on the internet machine getting the numbers. 
using her fingers of theory to type. <laughs> I know. I like have my laptop here. I could just pull up another window <laughs> on the PC. Yeah. So Chromecast Ultra is $69. Obviously, very limited functionality on that device. So if you if, if Xbox came in with uh, an all digital box that was, you know, streamlined functionality, but still offered Xbox Live, um, Xbox Game Pass, and then all of the apps that you can currently log into on the Xbox platform at $149.99, I think that that would be a big win. And if they could even bring that price down more, that oh would be God. an even bigger win. Like, w- imagine a world where they debut this at $99.99 and then get people signed up for Xbox Game Pass. I think that that would be a gigantic win for Xbox going into the next generation because we have seen them already have incredible success with subscriptions from Xbox Game Pass translating into more software sales. Phil Spencer has said as much that people that have a Game Pass subscription buy more video games. And that's why they really launched Game Pass to begin with. And it's added value for the exclusives that they have coming down the line. Now, we've talked at length on this show about how the exclusives that have currently debuted are pretty weak, right? Mm. But they just announced Fallout 4 is going to be on Xbox Game Pass and um, a whole slew of other games are already currently on Xbox Game Pass. So there's a lot of value there that I think people should be paying attention to as we're about to cross over into the next generation. And perhaps this is a way for people who have been PlayStation households or Nintendo households to add Xbox into the mix. Yeah, it's all it's all fascinating. I, I talk about this quite a bit on the show, but I'm so excited to see what the next generation is going to bring because the moves Microsoft is making now, granted, you know, I think they're making a lot of these decisions based off of the position they've been in during this generation. And I think it's really going to benefit them next generation game pass if they do do, do this digital shenaniganry that a lower price point, you know, all these new studio acquisitions. I'm really excited to see how this all plays out. And if you don't have an Xbox One and they do announce this and it is a low price point, I mean, it, let's say with the Game Pass and the console and everything, it's a max $200, $250, whatever. That's still, you know, a good investment for the sheer amount of games and content you're going to get out of that system. So, yeah, exciting times. Indeed. And I'm still pumped to see what's going to happen with Google at GDC. Oh, God, that's right. It's all going to happen in the next couple of weeks. (laughs) At least we hope. Um, Okay. Next story. Oh, boy. Um, This one has really lit the internet on fire this week. Uh, Another Sonic movie leak shows the hedgehog going fast. So this write-up is from Shaq News. This, of course, is the second story after the initial Sonic leak. Uh, A lot of the attention that the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog movie is garnered concerns the new look for Sega's classic blue blur. In addition to being even more anthropomorphized... I said that wrong? Anthropomorphized? I think Anthropomor- this is one of those words, like rural, <laughs> that I just suck at life with. I'm not even going to try to help you. <laughs> then its original cartoon-inspired design, the anticipated... Nope. Updated hedgehog will also include... <laughs> it's anticipated. And fur-coated arms, despite the changes, many of the press images we've seen through leaks so far were still recognizably Sonic. It's hard to say that when he's actually running, though, at least judged by the latest leaked image. The even more recent leak comes to us courtesy of TSSZ, 
who reported on another Sonic movie, Render Leak, which has apparently been verified by a Paramount employee. The new image, which is featured in the header above as well as the embedded below, which, of course, you would need to head on over to Google to check this out for yourself. Sonic looks more like a guy in a Sonic costume than a computer-generated <laughs> <No>. model. <laughs> Earlier this week, a style guide for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie started making the rounds online. Among additional glimpses of Sonic's new look, the promotional material also showcased some product design images and included brand personality qualifiers to better outline Sonic's overall attitude. Given all these early looks of a film, it's kind of hard to say what Sonic fans should expect. We do at least know that Sonic the Hedgehog seems to have some star power behind it, as legendary talent Jim Carrey will be voicing Dr. Eggman, while actor and comedian Ben Schwartz will be voicing the titular Hedgehog himself. Expect to learn more as the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is closer toward its November 8th release date. Oh my god. This is the stuff of nightmares. I remember when we first talked about this on our show because it was that silhouette image of Sonic and all you could see were his buff Sonic. His buff Sonics. <laughs> those quads were just like beefy in your face. Uh, and now it's come out and it's just as terrifying as I think we all thought it would be. These things just never end well. It's hard to take oh here's that word. Anthropomorph anthro fuck whatever. Anthropomorph What's the word, Andrea? Help. Anthropomorphous. I don't know, Brittany. We need Alexa here. She was really good word. at saying that word. She's she's very good at She's words. really good at that. <laughs> Having those kind of things translate into a CG movie like this, it just doesn't work. It works for Detective Pikachu because those are just like little animals anyway, right? But Sonic is like a humanized hedgehog, which is kind of scary. And then it just doesn't look good. It looks terrifying. Actually, did you see um, Sonic's original creator, Yuji Naka, who commented on this on Twitter? Did not. Okay. So this is from Kotaku. Kotaku's Tim Rogers translated his tweets, which read, I feel like with this Sonic here, visually, the important thing to look at is the head and body ratio of the roundness of the abdomen. I wonder if they couldn't have balanced them a little bit better. These images of Sonic aren't coming officially from the movie-making source. I think it's possible they're being strategically leaked, though getting people talking about it because it's bad can't be good for Sonic's existing IP. Well, there's also the possibility that this is fan-made, though even so, I'd still prefer it if they put some gloves on him. Seeing him barehanded is quite a shock. Yeah, so that was one of the biggest criticisms of this image. So if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and Google Sonic movie and it will come up instantly. Um, Instead of having gloves on, he's got white fur on his hands, which is a weird change to make. And the shoes also, he's got like little tennis shoes on instead of the oversized, weird, cartoony Yeah, that he was wearing before. And clearly, you know, classic Sonic has these really thin, tiny legs and these giant shoes and these giant hands. And let's be honest, Sonic is a weird-looking character in general, but he's weird-looking consistently throughout the video games until we get into the, you know, more of the 3D era. But even then, he still only looks a little bit different, whereas the movie character has just enough off about him that it makes you pause and go, huh, I don't know how I feel about that. Now, personally, I don't, I'm not upset about this. I don't really care about Sonic as a character. Sorry, Sonic, you know, fans out there. Um, I think he's perfectly fine. So I don't really feel like victimized by this (laughs) Sonic portrayal, like a lot of people on the internet seem to be. Um, But there has been several fans who have 
modified the movie images and said, hey, why don't next time you ask the fans to do it, like maybe that amazing crew of developers who did Sonic Mania, uh, maybe they could have done the art for Sonic for you. (laughs) But I think the really funny part is the slides that leaked are clearly never meant to be seen by the consumer and the movie-going audience. It's marketing material for people to use in campaigns and generally speaking, you know, It's like you would never see that. And so I have a little bit of empathy for the fact that that's stuff that is never supposed to be released. And that's why it sounds and looks weird is because you weren't supposed to see it ever. So do you think he's going to change then drastically between now and the movie release? No, they can't. can't. If the movie is out in November, they are deep into post-production. Mm. And animation takes a long time. Mm. There's no way that they can change the way that he looks throughout the entire movie. Because mm. Okay, yeah. Unless they delay the it. movie by, <laughs> by like a year. That's crazy. I'm looking, and this is why he looks so scary. It does look like there's someone in a Sonic suit with a Sonic like helmet thing on. Like one of those really bad mascots you see at high school football games. Like that's mm-hmm. exactly what this looks like. And I'm seeing a fan rendition of what would have looked a lot better because he still has that cartoony vibe to him the problem is is when you try like the skinny legs and the huge feet because that kind of you know it it, it gets rid of the belief that this could possibly be a weird thing and your brain's not like oh my god there's a monster coming after me what do i make of this yeah but yeah he like has beefy legs he has like an actual torso i mean he looks like he could function in this world and like that's not okay yeah i think the funniest part is that you know they forget that he's supposed to look kind of like a hedgehog and sonic's whole thing is that the reason his head's so big is because like that's supposed to be the the hedgehog part of him and like the legs are just meant to be a facility for him to uh, a way for him to run um and like they could have easily kept the eyes the same there's no reason why they had to change his eyes um john and i were looking at it and he was like maybe the reason they did that is so that they can animate them independently and like do eyebrow raises and you know make it look more humanoid i'm like but that's weird all of it's just a little upsetting i guess (laughs) that's a good word i'm legitimately freaked out i've officially i'm officially claiming that i will go see this movie um because i love all of you and i'm dedicated to what i do but uh i'm gonna have to be very drunk and i'm gonna have to hold the hand of someone because (laughs) I mean, it, it's it kind of gives me the same vibes I got when I had like a Raggedy Ann doll back in the day. Like just staring at it just makes me feel off and doesn't make me feel good. Kind of freaks me out. And I get that vibe looking at Sonic. And imagine him like talking and moving and functioning like a, a human with like moving eyes and blinking and shit. It just, oh God. <laughs> okay. Now Is you've got more a muscular freaked out butt? than I was at the beginning of this segment. <laughs> Is he going to have a muscular butt? Like that's That'd be awkward. I hope not. I don't want I any. Hope he has no buttocks at all. I want no buttock shots in this Sonic movie. No buttock shots whatsoever. I can't handle it. I will leave the theater if I see his butt. <laughs> no, you're gonna get so turned on. You'll be like, okay, this is no. what I've been waiting for. I will bang a lot I of fiction. <laughs> Andrea, I will bang a lot of fictional things. This is not one of them. But not the hedgehog. Got it. <laughs> not noted. the hedgehog. Oh God. <laughs> all right. Before this part of the conversation goes any farther off the rails, let's transition. Uh-huh into apex legends that's right the hit phenomena has hit 50 million players 
According to IGN, it was revealed through the official Apex Legends Twitter account. The post reads, Apex Legends hit 50 million players worldwide. We are humbled by all of your support and can't wait to show you what's next. While not specified, this 50 million player number is likely referring to anyone who has ever downloaded or played the game on PC, PlayStation 4, or Xbox One, regardless of if it was one match or 100. In a brief video included with the announcement, developer Respawn Entertainment also revealed that over the last month, 158 million finishers have been used, 1.23 billion ultimates have been activated, 31 billion pings have been placed, and there have been 170 million respawns and more. So congratulations, Respawn Entertainment, for a very successful launch. 50 million is a very impressive number, and we wish you nothing but the best. Meanwhile, before I transition into the sad EA news, I think it's quite interesting looking at all the press releases that are coming across my desk for Player Unknown Battlegrounds because... Clearly, they are suffering from not only Fortnite eating their lunch last year, but now here comes Apex taking a seat at the table, too, going, oh, yeah? You think that you're going to be top dog in Battle Royale? Uh Uh-uh, don't think so. But they are trying with all of these different crossover events that are happening. So I think we're up to four different licensed crossovers where you can get different characters, skins, items, things like that. The newest one I saw was Terra, characters from Terra. Um, I saw things from Horizon Zero Dawn. Of course, we've had the um, Harley Quinn and Joker stuff that was last year. And there was one more Resident that I'm definitely... Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. I was like, that I'm definitely forgetting. Did you end up getting PUBG Mobile to try this new Resident Evil 2 mode out? Not me, but Jason plays it a lot. And I was watching him play. And they it was funny, him and his buddy were in a, a truck or something. And they found Mr. X in the middle of this field. And they're like, oh, we're going to go run him down. And he said that they took the truck at full speed and ran right into Mr. X. And their whole truck exploded. They went flying. Mr. X was completely unfazed and just standing there like right. the brick shit house that he is. Um, and he said that or he, the Thomas the Tank Engine, you know, depends on how you're playing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that mod is so good. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I know for a while a lot of Battle Royale games have come and gone since um, the, the success of PUBG. And, you know, more importantly, the success of Fortnite. Everyone's seeing that. And the, the conversation has always been, can anyone step in? Can anyone even take some of this this audience away from Fortnite? And I think the, the assumption was that PUBG would just continue to get better and better and eventually kind of take some of that audience away. But clearly we're seeing Apex Legends come in and being like, nope, we're, we're doing it better than you are. And PUBG is like, well, drat. Well, drat. Yeah, I mean they're hanging in there, of course. Of I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like they're tanking, but I mean, at this time last year, we were talking about how crazy PUBG's numbers still were on Twitch and on Steam, and then Fortnite really ramped up right around now and started to just snowball throughout the summer, becoming you know a worldwide phenomenon by fall of last year, and now, um, not that PUBG is you know kick to the curb or anything, Mm-mm. but they clearly have um, fallen down the list as, you know, more battle royale options have come to the table. And we've seen, you know, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 also introducing some new items for Blackout, and we can expect Blackout to probably return in some form in the next Call of Duty whenever it's announced, probably April or May, uh, later this spring. 
And of course, you know, you've got battlefields, battle royale, and then whatever's coming next. I mean, you have to assume another battlefront is probably on the way. That'll probably have battle royale. We've got Tetris 99 in the mix. It's been really fascinating. Watch this genre really take off like a rocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still that conversation of is this a bubble that's going to burst or is it going to just become a staple of online multiplayer games, right? Where when you release a game like Call of Duty or Battlefield or Battlefront, that it's going to have its own battle royale mode to it. Gosh, I hope not. I hope it doesn't become something that is always included because I think that that most games don't make sense for this. So don't add battle royale if it doesn't make sense, friends. But wouldn't any online multiplayer game kind of make sense? Were you PvP stuff? Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, if you you can dream it, it might make sense. But when it comes to, like, online service connectivity, supporting that game with content post-launch, no, it doesn't always make sense. As much as you want to believe that Nintendo will add a Pokemon Battle Royale to Sword and Shield... (laughs) And that would be pretty fantastic if you ask me. Oh, it's yeah. not going to happen. It would make right? so much sense. It would. Uh, you have all the strengths and the weaknesses of the types of Pokemon. Throw them all in a big grassy, grassy route one. I don't care. Play the little ding, 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 the ding, ding, ding music in the background and watch just the slaughter. Just watch the slaughter. The slaughter. Never. It's, gonna, it's never going to happen. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Okay. Now let's move on to some disappointing EA news after that high with Apex Legends. Um, Of course, we aren't going to really be talking too much about Anthem in hands-on since we talked about it at length last week, but we can't skip the crazy news that's happening with it this week. So EA has asked for help to diagnose Anthem's alarming PS4 crashes. So we've seen this story really evolving since the weekend And this write-up comes from Eurogamer. If you haven't played Anthem on PS4 and experienced its hard crash issue, EA would like to get in touch. Excuse me. If you've played Anthem on PS4 and experienced its hard crash issue, EA would like you to get in touch. That's the way that's supposed to read. (laughs) Anthem's publisher finally acknowledged the game was hard crashing PS4s and asked fans for help diagnosing the issue via It's EA Answers HQ message board. These crashes are not just closing the game client. They're subtly switching off the entire PS4 as if you had yanked out the console's power plug. I'm very occasionally experiencing this kind of bug in other games, maybe a handful of times since the PS4 launched. Some of Anthem's PS4 players report this happening multiple times in a single play session. When reports of this began popping up online, a handful of users claimed their PS4 had been bricked by the issue, something I've seen a few websites repeat. Bricked implies a console has been irrevocably broken, turned into a literal brick of plastic with no way of turning it back on. I have yet to see proof of this, and EA does not recognize it yet either. And I think that's the important part of this story. What does seem to be happening fairly widely are the after effects of a PS4 suddenly losing power. Many fans using EA's Answers HQ report having to wait a short while, a few minutes in some cases, before their PS4 is able to be switched back on, and only then by pressing the button on the console itself rather than using a controller. Some reports of being thrown into the PS4's hidden safe mode, which is a scary-looking set of menus designed to fix serious system bugs. After that, PS4 owners will see the usual unexpected shutdown error code and the system storage status screen as the console gathers itself and restarts. So this is the first part of the story and obviously very concerning. This is something that 
I spoke about at the end of last week on on Games Daily and subsequently got more Anthem shit talkers coming to leave some comments. <laughs> and it's just like, I feel like I almost didn't put this story in the rundown because I'm just so tired of... Of, the, of this Anthem conversation turning into such a gross, negative thing. Oh, hell no. We and, do not tolerate that in our community. FYI, I will ban, hammer you to the nethers. It's okay um, to have constructive feedback, but don't be an asshole. Yes, of course. And, you know, when Greg and I were talking about it on Games Daily and, and he clarified everything at the beginning of this week, we did get some of the norm- nomenclature wrong. And, of course, I would never justify this type of error that's, be- that's happening. It sucks. I think, well, you know, when, when these reports, reports were originally coming out, there was a lot of people throwing around the word bricked. And we have yet to see proof of anyone saying their console was actually bricked, meaning it was no longer usable in any way from Anthem. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but I'm saying like at the time, like that people were just throwing that word around very loosely. Um, and I have yet to experience this crash. Uh, Greg did tweet that he finally experienced um, that type of a crash from Anthem. Have you been, you, you're playing on Xbox though. Yeah, I honestly, I don't plan on touching Anthem until the next big, big update hits. But yes, I, what, I did experience call. this when I was playing Metro Exodus. And it was the first time I had ever experienced something like this before. I was playing the game. Next thing I know, everything goes black and then it shuts off. And then I booted it back up. I got the you do not shut this down correctly message. So it is a frustrating thing. And yeah, I mean, this sucks. Like, there's no sugarcoating this. It's an unfortunate thing. This isn't like it's a random thing that's happening very um sporadically it sounds like it's happening to a lot of people and it sucks i mean it's just a shitty situation for all parties involved it is and i think the thing that kind of frustrates me about it is that people are taking the opportunity to you know dogpile on bioware and ea when they're already struggling with several other issues one of which we're going to talk about in a second um and also from what i've heard from some of my sources that it's possible that there's a lot of these reports that are being falsified so people can make claims to try to get a refund for a game that they just don't like and that part is really the disturbing part to me it's like listen if you didn't like the game you didn't like the game i'm not here to try to sell you on it i enjoyed my time with it i spent about you know 30 hours with the game so far I'm going to set it down now that I've finished the mainline story and I'm going to pick it back up, you know, later down the line when I have fewer things to play. But I would like to try to separate these two conversations and not make them one giant mess of criticism about Anthem. Because does the game have problems? Absolutely. Is the game still really fun to play for me? Yes, absolutely. Does it suck that these these issues are happening? Of course it does. And... I really hope that EA and PlayStation can get to the bottom of this, but it appears that the issue isn't necessarily as widespread um, as it appears to be online. And that, I think, is the is the thing to remember here. If you are concerned about your PlayStation, upload all of your save data into the cloud and then uninstall Anthem until they make some fixes. I think that that's the, the smart thing to do. And if you haven't bought Anthem yet, maybe you should wait until May when they pushed the first major cataclysm update and content, um, you know, update then. I think that's a, also a smart thing to do. Or you can continue to play as you have been if you're having fun. I just, the thing I want to drive home here before I move on to the second part of the story 
is that there's a there's a subset of people out there that are either listening to What's Good Games or maybe they're only fans of, you know, the work that I do on Kind of Funny and they are looking for me to publicly lambast Bioware and EA. And it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I'm not going to crucify them. I'm not going to say, shame on you. How dare you? Because people make mistakes and developers have unforeseen errors that come up. I guarantee you, nobody at PlayStation, EA, or Bioware saw this error coming, right? It just, it just happens, you know? Like, and that's part of the game-making process. And it's unfortunate that people are having these power issues with their console, and hopefully no one's console has truly been bricked. And if it has truly been bricked, of course, Sony will be there to help them get a replacement. It's just, I feel like there's just, there's just an angry mob mentality out there right now that is looking for people like, like me and like Britt and other people who talk into microphones online to, to like shake our fist angrily at, at Bioware and EA. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm just not here for it. And I said that in the, in the, in the subreddit, I'm kind of funny and I'm going to echo it here. Like if you're looking for me to do that, you're barking up the wrong tree. There are plenty of people online who are willing to do that and it's just not here. So, and that's all I'm going to say about it. All right. Let's drop that microphone, girl. <laughs> all right. Moving on to the second half, which is the part that I actually am upset about. Um, is loot broken too? What the hell? <laughs> um, and the, the, the thing about this part of the story is like a little bit of a head scratcher. And these reports are also unsubstantiated, so it's hard to know exactly what's happening. But over at Polygon, they wrote up a story, uh, and the title is Anthem's Loot Scaling is Broken. So according to a Reddit user named Yeetlord Supreme, nice. <laughs> he may have cracked what's going on with Anthem's loot. According to his post, uh, an experiment, Anthem appears to scale damage in enemy health based on weapons that you're using to shoot each enemy. So a max level masterwork weapon, which is the highest level gear that you can get in Anthem right now, um, says that it's supposed to do more damage than a lower level gun. But the reality is that it takes fewer bullets from a level one gun to kill the same enemy as with the masterwork item. In this case, Heat Lord Supreme tried out to level 45 masterwork Rawlers Blaze and a level one common defender rifle. Well, the game seems to indicate that Rawlners does more damage via the numbers that fly off when you shoot the enemies. It takes six bullets to kill that enemy. Meanwhile, the same type of enemy only took four bullets from the level one defender rifle. Several other users popped into the thread with similar experiments and found the same results using a lower level weapon was actually killing enemies quicker than high level weapons. The thread immediately drew the attention of Bioware, which responded with a message from the technical design director, Brennan Holmes, who said, quote, we'll need to investigate this. Scaling systems are supposed to allow low level players to play with high level players to be effective against high level enemies. However, this is not intended and something ain't right here you don't say also i'm echoing again hold on oh is it back okay it's gone all right oh i was like i don't hear you echoing you sound lovely i sound good last week we had some weird echoing issues but you know i think technology the technology god smiled on us the week on us this week so yeah this is uh this is interesting and so i heard about this and i went to the reddit thread and someone posted a gif of the experiment that they were running and it's true, the first weapon they used dis- 
Well, oh, so it, it has been substantiated since the initial reports came out. Okay, great. Yeah, I saw it earlier in Reddit. And so I don't know if any more has come out since then. So what the gift shows is Homeboy using a level one weapon and then one of the master weapons, whatever they're called. Um, and the Masterworks. First, masterworks. So the first weapon, each kill took about, I think it was four shots. And the fourth shot was overkill, but it needed to be shot, obviously, to finish off the enemy. And by the time the level one weapon did its fourth shot, there was a much smaller slice of health on the enemy as opposed to the super powerful weapon. So it was actually taking more damage, but not by that much, but it was shown, if that makes sense. Right, but hypothetically, if you have a level one gun and a level 45 gun, they should be doing... Exactly. Different damage, but like... So clearly something's wrong with their with their scaling, and as they mentioned, as the technical design director was like, yo, this, this isn't right. right. <laughs> but, I mean, scaling when you have people of different power levels in the same party is a super challenging thing to do in one of these worlds, which is, you know, why it usually takes teams a long time to get that balance done. I think what this indicates is that clearly this game should have started in early access. Everything that we've seen so far is indicating that from the day one patch to all of the connection launches and the or the connection uh, problems post-launch and the loading screens and the gear problems that I complained about on the show last week. Um, this game has so much potential and so much promise, and I stand by that. And it has one of the most unique, innovative, innovative traversal systems I've ever seen in a game. However, the problems are mounting so at this point, you know, I cannot recommend for people to buy Anthem. And that sucks. It because does I suck. remember vividly after our preview events, you know, really after Game Awards when we did that briefing, you know, we got the chance to see it and play. I was like so excited. <laughs> and I think that's a good point because, you know, everything we saw leading up to launch. I mean, I love Bioware. I have friends at Bioware. And I don't know how much of this were involves the people we know and how much was marketing and EA, blah, blah, blah. But what we were shown is not all that we got, obviously. And when you have those press events and you have those little briefings, you're being filled with all this exciting information about what the things you can do and what you can see and all. But the reality is it's just sometimes, man, it's it's just kind of to fluff your feathers a bit, like wet your whistle and, and I don't know, untwist your panties and make you happy and awesome. I mean, that's the whole point of something like this, right? It's to build hype and that's kind of like our business is to talk about the things we like and get other people excited about it. Um, but in this case, yeah, it just it just kind of flopped, sadly. I mean, not not flop in the sense that this whole thing has been an epic failure because it's not. You are having a lot of fun with it. People I'm talking to is having a lot of fun with it. But it's just the messaging versus the actual product, which is something that we've talked about at length on this show. It just wasn't up to snuff. Correct. But I hope that they get their act together. You know, as I described, um, you know, the games cast last week, I think that this game could have been fantastic as a single player experience. And then they could have onboarded, you know, co-op multiplayer later. But who knows where it's going to end up. But I hope that they get it all sorted out. And I was very comforted by Casey Hudson, the head of the studio at Bioware, taking to Twitter this week. And addressing concerns of people who have invested in Anthem and paid $60 plus for the game saying EA isn't going to shut this down, are they? They're going to let you guys fix it and work on it and you're going to continue through the roadmap. And he said, absolutely, you have nothing to worry about. Anthem's not going anywhere. We absolutely are committed to 
making these fixes happen as quickly as possible to bringing more content and to really delivering on the vision for Anthem. And I was really happy to see that. So I'm looking forward to it when they, you know, get these fixes going. Are you going to hop back in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the roadmap looks cool, and I definitely want to see more about what's coming down the pipeline for Strongholds and this Cataclysm event that they're describing. You know, now that I've, you know, quote, like, rolled credits, which is hard to do on a, a live service game, and I finish the story, it's going to be a lot easier to play with people because I don't have to spend as much time in Fort Tarsus having all those individual conversations. But there's still more things to do and more characters to really develop relationships with. And I think that was really the part of Anthem that stuck with me is that it felt to its core like a Bioware narrative. They just really struggled to add in that multiplayer component, which we knew they were going to, right? It's their first time trying to do something like this. And, you know, we could talk ad nauseum about if it was a good decision or not, but what's the point? It, this, the decision's done. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's made. And they have Dragon Age coming down the work, you know, down the works, you know? Like, so I think people are going to forget all about this launch with Anthem in a couple of months and diehard Bioware fans are going to be there day one for Dragon Age like they always have been. And I think that there'll be nothing to worry about for Bioware as a studio. I do hope that they, you know, have a successful launch with Dragon Age because I, they yeah. really they really need a win after, I was gonna, after Andromeda and, and Anthem. Yeah, because I was going to say I personally believe Bioware is very, very capable of making amazing, wonderful games. Obviously, we've seen it in the past, but... You know, you look at Andromeda, you look at Anthem, and stakes are uh, high for Dragon Age. And it's that mob mentality or it's that internet mentality of EA has ruined Bioware, EA has ruined Bioware, blah, 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 blah. And now Bioware can't make good games. And it's kind of like that thing you were talking about earlier where I feel like it's just it's cool to hate sometimes, you know, and sometimes people look at things half empty. I try to look at them half full and I but like you said, like they need to nail they need to nail this Dragon Age release because yeah. And I think the important takeaway in addition to what I said earlier was these are still people. They're human beings who are making these games whether it's Anthem or a game from any other publisher out there that has a tough launch and I would hope and urge people out there before you make a comment publicly to remember that these are people and how would you feel if you made something and somebody came to you and was really hurtful and rude and mean? I'm not saying that they shouldn't get any criticism for their shortcomings at all, but I'd say that there's a way to deliver that criticism without being a jerk, without being an asshole about it. Because we know when we screw up, you think Bioware doesn't know that they've screwed up and that they've made mistakes and that they're trying to fix it. Of course they do. You don't need to like be a jerk about it. And that's think, all I'm going to say. And I think that's the key thing there. This doesn't just apply to video games. You know, you pay for something, you expect something. Of course, you are the client. It's the client relationship, right? And if you gave Bioware EA $60, you expect something that you can play, something that you were promised. And if you don't get that, it's all right to be upset. But if you look and this is how i handle it i look at are they actively trying to fix this are they being active in the community or are they just giving you the middle finger and walking away and be like not our problem you gave us the money we're piecing out like clearly that's not what's happening here so just uh you know it's unfortunate but you know it's not like they're stiffing all of us and just saying too bad too bad exactly yeah 
All right, that is going to do it for our news segment for this week. When we come back, we have so many cool games to talk about, including Devil May Cry 5 and Days Gone. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Everybody, it is segment two of the What's Good Games podcast, and this is the hands-on impression segment where we talk about what we've been playing. And this week, it's brought to you by your turbo patrons and above. That's right, at patreon.com slash what's good games, you can support everything that we do here at What's Good. Even if you can only toss us a dollar, we would absolutely appreciate the support and the love, but... If you can toss us even more dollars, maybe you can become a turbo patron. And these are the shout-outs that we're going to read for the month of March. Brittany, would you like to do the honors and begin? I would with Aaron Saxton. Adriana Rock-Williams. Alberto Videla. Alex Rigopoulos. Andrew Colton. Andrew Smith. Andrew Susan. Anthony Murphy. Ariella Berman. Bill Stilwell. Billy Shibley. Brian Harper. Brian R. Johnson. Brooke Lurie. Asia Harris. By the way, I finally hung the artwork that she made for us. Nice. Carl Peterson. Kathy Lucas. Chris Wilson. Cool Rat Daddy. David Akalucci. Donato Sinicio Third. Yes. Dustin Lewis. E. Benjamin Checkness. E. Irizari. Sorry, the Eli. <laughs> Elizabeth Brooke. Elmo Shell. Emily Kent. Emma Acorn. Ferris Atier. Geek Heart Games. Gio Corsi. Gregory Horton. Ivan Becharano. <laughs> Jacob Safari. Jared Howard. Also, I love, I love that your name is Safari, Mr. Safari. It's pretty great. Uh, Jasmine Lee. Pesson Demek. <laughs> Jesse Spencer. <laughs> Jessica Bloom. Joe Kennison. Joe Schlieff. John Drake. Arr. Giselle Bassa. Justin Foshi. Justin Foss. Kevin Dunkel. Kia B. Kyle and Kelly B. Leonardo Alberto. Oh, Talavera Barocio. Is that, the is that his whole name? I Leonardo so. Roberto Talavera Barocio? That is a Barocio? badass name. That sir. is a crazy name. Uh, Lincoln Davis. Lincoln Thurber. Lucas Cheney. Mark Drastrup. Martha Emery. Matthew Gorer. Matthew Simpson. Melanthius Owens. Michael Shanholtz. Mike Queen. Mohammed Mohammed. Male Bittner. Nambui. Nicole Humphrey. Noel Navarez. Ose Machia. Paige Porter. Patrick Higgins. Patrick Landry. Patrick Wella. Peach Shoemaker. Professor Metal Gear. Punk Defied. Oh, my favorite. Pure Blue Octopus. <laughs> RJ Bryan. Regan Ibsen. <laughs> Rob Leonard. Robert Adams. Roland Bala. Ross Haney. Ryan B. <laughs> Sam. Sean I. Simon Bergstritz. Sean Stevenson. Steph Wu. Stephanie Fitzwilliams. Stephanie Dupont. Sydney Carr. Tara Bruno. Teresa Enert. The Right Game. Ooh. The Ghost Dog 420. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy Bennett. Tommy Larson. Oh, God. Tony, I'm so sorry. Andrew, how do Shea. I say it? It's Shay. Shay? Yes. Tony Shea. <laughs> Trent Berry. Trent Pennington. 
Trevor Snarky Starkey. Uh, Tyler McComb. Will Cullum. Will Hernandez. And Zach Hershey. Hershey Kiss. Mmm, chocolate. I know, that sounds so good. I heard I heard we were sent chocolate. chocolate today. We were. Well, technically it came a couple days ago. They are chocolate-covered espresso beans, actually. Oh. From El Padre. And hold on he also sent those um, those beaver puff things that oh, we had chips? when we were... Yeah, no, the little puff things, the, the sweet puff things we had when we were in Austin, Texas. <gasps> oh, those are Remember? so good. From the local, that's like the Austin local thing. Um, oh, that's right. And there's something else in there too, which I'm forgetting. But it was so funny. He sent such a sweet note with the, with the snacks and was like, I swear to God, I'm not trying to get you fat. All the ladies that I give snacks to think that. And I was like, don't worry about us. We eat junk all the time. Oh, yeah. That's all we do in our Andrea's house. It's like going to grandma's house. All the good food. It's Not- true. Even though I'm desperately trying to eat healthy, Steimer's like donuts, donuts. Donut. I mean, E3 is just a few months away. I mean, we can- <laughs> it's on. Dude, seriously, I have like ten weeks to get my button gear for my E3 diet plan. Let's go. Great. Um, okay, so let's start, shall we? Um, just quickly with the Division Two open beta. So that happened last weekend. Brittany, were you able to jump in at all? I jumped in, and then I had this moment of realization that. Husband, I really want to play this with you because I think you're great, but we're going to play this in a few weeks anyway. And I've done the same level like four times already. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. I literally had that exact same uh, realization. And that's just an unfortunate reality of the type of work that we do. And so I also played it to about level five. I didn't finish the end game. Well, I know you get all the special trinkets and things like that. Um, didn't make it because I was like, you know what? I'm going to play this again. And I'm super pumped for it. I think the beta ran really well. There was, of course, a couple issues, for, um, but it wasn't game breaking for me. Um, just some audio cues that were missing when I was shooting my guns and some texture popping, things that you would expect in a beta, and hopefully they'll get all that buttoned up with any patches that they need for the final code before launch. Is there going to be some issues at launch? Of course there will be. It's an online multiplayer game. Just because they have a lot of lessons learned and there will be a ton of cool stuff to play doesn't mean that there's not going to be problems. But from everything that we've seen and from all the conversations that we've had with the team at Massive, I'm really looking forward to the launch of the Division 2 and think that they've done a really great job with making a long-tail experience for people who are going to want to keep playing after that 40-hour campaign is done. And once again, if you missed the interview that we posted with the team from Massive, uh, please do check it out. Some really interesting background inf- information about not only how they created Washington, D.C., but about you know some of the things that they're looking forward to um, players finding in the game as well. Yeah, it's a great game, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed. Um, Another quick one for you. Destiny 2 Forsaken's Season of the Drifter has officially begun. So after the Black Forge, which was, or the Black Armory, I believe it was called, um, which was the first of the annual pass content drops that are coming for Destiny 2 Forsaken, I took a break. I needed to play some other things for a while, and so I had just hit light level 600 and decided to step away because I just needed to focus on some other titles, playing Resident Evil, and et cetera, et cetera. Saw all of the changes that they're making for Season of the Drifter and got super excited about getting back into Destiny. And I'm really pumped to say that my first few hours with Season of the Drifter and the new 
twist on Gambit, Gambit Prime, and the Reckoning, which is about to happen for me. I, I just unlocked the ability to go do the Reckoning. Just really excited about playing it again. And shout out to all of the What's Good Guardians in the clan for always being willing to help me run through all of my bounties <laughs> and my missions and strikes and everything. Always have a great time with those kids. And just really reminds me what I love so much about Destiny and Destiny 2 and the camaraderie from being able to play with people and have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, rolling with a six-person crew into the Crucible for Mayhem was just so much fun. And that's a very specific PvP mode where all you do is throw supers the whole time. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, because your super recharges super fast. Ah. Um, And so... You can use your guns if you want to, but I mean, your ultimate ability charges like every like 10 seconds or something like that. So that's my kind of PvP. Yeah. So I used to hate that mode, actually. And now (laughs) I really and now I really like it, probably because I've gotten pretty good with my supers and they buffed the hunter supers, which really helps. But um, yeah, really having a good time with it. I'm going to spend quite a bit more time and then I'll give you guys an update once I get to play more. Um, But just want to quickly mention, if you are a Destiny player and you haven't jumped in, they are doing some really good quality of life fixes, including allowing you to use silver to buy specific cosmetics in the Eververse shop, which I've been begging for forever. <laughs> um, but they've finally done it. But there are there's still a giant RNG component to that game that kind of makes me twitch a little bit. Great RNGs. <laughs> so when's yeah. the next huge dump of information where we may get an Andrea rant on Destiny? Huh. That's a good question. It's hard to know now because they have taken publishing into their own hands, obviously, since leaving Activision. So we don't know if they're going to have the same uh, release schedule that they've had previously. We obviously know that the roadmap um, right now, as it stands with Season of the Drifter, has one more season. I don't know. The name of it is escaping me let me pull it up one second and i will find it pull it up girl and Um, find it i don't know if that's that's what she said (laughs) moment um maybe maybe not maybe not um so the next one i believe is coming what does it say here (laughs) oh it's uh june through august it's Mm. season of redacted like they're they won't say (laughs) for a minute i was like huh that's a weird thing who it is um, yeah, so this this season right now is going March through May, and that's uh, part of the annual pass content, as I mentioned. There is also free seasonal content that is available as well, but um, most of the stuff that I've been playing is part of the annual pass content. So the next big drop won't be until June, so I'm guessing they'll start detailing that in late May. Oh, man. I mean, I'm happy you're happy, and I am the happiest when you're the happiest, but I would be lying if I said your Destiny rants aren't hilarious at this point. <laughs> well, listen, they're not they're not going anywhere. You know, like, I love the things that I love, and because I love them, I have very high standards for them, so I'm taking my sweatshirt off. You're doing a good um, job. Thanks. Um, and because of that, that means that I want them to be the best that they can be, and that means I got a rant. Yeah, so I know. I've I've done the same way with a little game called Breath of the Wild. I get you, girl. Yeah, exactly. And don't think that you're not going to rant about Pokemon. Oh, I will. It's fine. You will. Um, All right. So now, Brittany. Yo. I'll talk about Days Gone later, but I want to hear you talk about Devil May Cry 5. Oh, boy. Okay. So I have a lot of notes here, and I'm going to be referring referring to them a lot. That makes absolutely no sense. Oh, no, it does. I don't know. 
So I am going to go down this list because there is a lot to talk about. And when you're having 500 calories a day, ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're little, that little mush in your, in your head and your skull just doesn't fire as quickly as it should. Hint, don't have 500 calories a day. Have at least double that. Yeah, don't do what I'm doing. Don't be dumb. Suffer it with your gut symptoms. It's worth it. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, Devil May Cry 5. So this game is out today for our listeners. March 8th, I believe, is what it is. And this... Uh, this was my first Devil May Cry experience. You know, growing up, I glanced at the game. I think I even tried it on PlayStation 2 for a little bit. But at that point, you know, it wasn't a JRPG. It wasn't a farming simulator. There weren't zombies in it. So it just kind of like wasn't my thing. So I quickly just like wiped my hands of it and walked away. But obviously, Capcom has been kind of killing it lately. And I feel like if there's I felt like if there was a time to hop in with Devil May Cry right now, it just might be the best time to do it, especially hot off the heels of their successful RE2 launch. I'm all about the Tim Geddes and I, we were talking about this over um, the weekend. We call them now the cap gods. Don't judge us. The it's cap fine. gods. <laughs> As in he, the Capcom gods. Yeah. Something like that. Cause you know, like the whole joke when they were going through their slump was like crap which is like really sad and shitty, but now it's like, Oh no, who gods. was saying that? Why are people so terrible? I don't know. They are, but now look at them now. You haters. Aha. Okay. So your my views that I'm going to be giving you are those of, of a newbie, of someone who has played maybe two games like this in her life, which is Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2. Andrew, you played a little bit of this, right? Or you've played Devil May Cry, or have you not? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I'm about three to four hours into Devil May Cry 5 uh, right now, but I played it at TGS last year, um, had a great time with it, and have seen it at a couple other preview events. But yeah, I've played some of the final code. Um, it looks amazing i don't think we can overstate how good the re engine looks in for this game and that's the thing that i i didn't know until i started digging into it so the resident evil engine that they clearly you know use for the resident evil 2 remake allows them to do this game at 4k 60 frames per second and man it looks pretty Mm. it's so pretty no i love it too and it's funny whenever the opening starts like this looks like it could be resident evil 3 remake uh, oh okay so views from a newbie this is what i have in my notes so I, what i appreciate about devil may cry 5 is despite me being so new to this series it's very approachable from a story and a gameplay gameplay standpoint so one of the number one questions i got was um i've never played this game before can i hop into this from a story perspective and from a combat perspective and from the story perspective obviously we have what like four or five other games in the series. So there's a lot that's been going on. But in the menu, there is an option to watch a short film that goes back into some of the the highlights of the game, of all the key things that have happened. And it was good enough for me to kind of get an idea of who these characters were. Now, granted, if you want to know all the nitty gritty details, you probably want to, A, watch that movie two or three times because there's a lot of text and some badass music in the background that's kind of distracting. And um, a lot of history with those characters. And there are some new characters in this game. And going into this, I didn't really understand who was new, who wasn't. And so it made sense that I found out that, for example, Nico is a brand new character. I didn't know that. Bullshit. She's interesting. Oh, I love her. Like, I am so conflicted. Part of me is like, oh my gosh, I love her styling. I love her narrative and her dialogue. But something about the way she's voice acted, like this weird accent that she has, Uh just Uh kind of like grates on me a little bit in a a character I think I otherwise would really love. But overall, like every time she comes on screen, I'm just like, wow, 
Her hair is so cool. Oh, yeah. She's wonderful. She has like this weird southern accent-ish. Southern it doesn't even... St- I know, it's weird, right? Something. But she's a, a sassy character. And I think it was a developer or someone high up on the team said that he wanted a sassy female character to keep Nero in, in check. And so thus she was created. And she's kind of the gunsmith of the operation. So from a story perspective, you can hop right in. I mean, I know I talked to Tim about this a little bit because there were moments where I was like, holy shit, like out loud or something really surprised me. And I was not expecting to see some of the twists or whatever that I did. And I asked him, I said, well, you're a longtime fan of the series. Did you see any of this coming? And he said it was all pretty much predictable. Um, So take that for what you will. But he said that did not take away from how amazing this game is, because I think when you're playing a game like Devil May Cry, you know, you're in it, sure, maybe for the story and characters, but it's mostly about the combat and how badass things are going. And the story and the characters are just like an added bonus to this thing that you love and you kind of grow attached to them over the years. So, yes, from a story perspective, character perspective, you can hop right in. Um, Half the time you might not know what's going on, but eventually it'll all click with you. But the main thing, obviously, like the, the sweet spot of Devil May Cry is the combat and the controls and how this game plays. So again, you know, I've played Bayonetta and Bayonetta 2, and that's as far as I've come with games like this. So how the controls work is you will ultimately control three characters throughout this game, um, Dante, Nero, and V. And the, for the most part, they all play pretty similar. Um, with Dante and Nero, you have one button assigned to range attacks and one button assigned to melee attacks. And for V, you actually have these three summons. Think of them, I guess, Pokemon, if you will. And you, each button controls those characters, so those summons. So you have a panther, and you have a griffin, and you have this big old dude named Nightmare that you can summon when your devil trigger gauge is full. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But other than that, um, Dante and Nero have their range button, they have their um, melee button, and then they have their special, which is assigned to another button, and the specials vary so for Nero, he has these devil breakers. Now, he doesn't have half of his right arm, I believe. And so what Nico has done, the gunsmith that we were talking about with the weird southern accent, she creates these varied uh, mechanical weapons for Nero's arm, and each one of them does different things. For example, there's this one called the punchline, where if you use the button that controls that, it'll continually punch a, an enemy. And then if you hold it, you can actually ride that thing around like a hoverboard. I think there's eight different breakers, you know, within the game. There's a, did you have one or have you found one in particular you like, Andrea? Oh, oh, oh. These, the devil breakers are wild. And um, there's some that come with the special edition of Devil May Cry 5. The one, of course, that's going to stick out like a sore thumb that you're going to love is the, is the Mega Man Blaster. Yeah. Um, absolutely loved playing with that. And the way that it looks in the engine is like divine. It looks amazing. <laughs> um, the, the pasta breaker, I still don't understand how that works. It's an there's arm with be... a little fork at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. There, there's got to be like a deep cuts, like, inside joke for Devil May Cry about the pasta breaker, but I, and it's got like the pasta spoon, the slotted spoon that you use to stir pasta with <laughs> is built into it too. And I was like, this is hilarious. I really want to know what the backstory is. So if you guys know, if you're diehard Devil May Cry fans, you know the backstory behind the pasta breaker, please email us at contact at what'sgoodgames.com and let me know because I'm dying to know what the story is. Um, so that one's really fun. Um, and yeah, there's all sorts of different um, breakers and I, I still haven't quite mastered um, how to effectively use them. I feel like once I start hitting the button, I accidentally mash it and then I've lost all my breakers because yep. the thing about the breaker system that I've found a little bit frustrating to, to master is that 
once you pick them up, the way that you, the order that you pick them up is the order that you're going to be able to use them. There's no way to cycle through your magazine. You're essentially picking up breakers like you would pick up bullets and then you're loading them into a magazine like you would load bullets into a clip. And so you can't move the bullets around inside the clip just like you can't move the breakers around inside your magazine. And so when you use them, you really don't have any control over the order that you use them in unless you're really thoughtful and strategic about how you pick them up in the world or about how you load your magazine through the customization menu. And something I'm still kind of wrestling with as a gameplay mechanic. Yeah, it's a little weird. I remember asking about that during my E3 demo, I think it was. I'm like, do I have to destroy these? And they said, yeah. Now, granted, you know, they are plentiful and you can buy them for relatively cheap from Nico. I think it's 500 orbs, but it's still the, the idea that you can't really cycle through them is a little a little weird, but hey, probably because every other button is assigned to a million different things. They didn't have enough button space to give you a sort through Baker's system. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's how Nero um, handles. And then you have Dante, and this is, so each character controls a very differently from one another, which is something I'm sure that Devil May Cry fans are just super excited about and eat right up. Um, so Dante has four different styles that he can use, and then he has four different melee weapons and then four different ranged weapons. And so there's a lot of combination with him. And he's a character that I actually struggled with a lot as a newbie to these sort of fighting games because I'm like, holy crap, there is just so much. Um, and then you have V, who I talked about earlier, who has his little summons, his griffin who does electricity, and then his panther who does melee. And then again, going back to the devil trigger, you have this gauge that is consistently or constantly filling up. And once it maxes out, you can do something special for. So, for example, with with V, once you reach that max gauge, you can summon Nightmare, which is this big like Titan Hulk shadowy object that just wreaks havoc. And you can actually upgrade your skills en- enough to ride on him. It's pretty amazing. And with Dante, his devil trigger is he just turns into a devil trigger Dante or whatever it's called, where he turns like into like a demon and he looks really fucking badass. Demon so, Dante, yeah. Yeah. So this all sounds complicated. And for me personally, you know, it was a lot at first to wrestle with and to grasp. But thankfully, there's this thing called auto assist. Which, oh, yes. Which indeed. is the best thing. So essentially, it makes it easier for you to pull off combos by pressing less buttons. So if you're someone like me who is like, okay, I'm going to do a weird variety between the melee and the range, and then I'm at a B in there from time, or in my example, in my time, it was a B, but circle if you're playing on PlayStation, um, and throw in my special move, and then maybe I'll pull down, you know, the right trigger or R1 or right bumper and R1, and then maybe I'll flick this, I'll pull off a sick combo and get lucky because I button mash. That's what I do. The point is, yeah. by me erratically, like, pushing all these buttons, I did some sick shit. I did some badass <laughs> shit. I was like, oh, yeah, that's me right there. Look at that. I'm using my motorcycle to chop weapon or to chop enemies in two. That's me pulling that off. So if you are new to this whole thing, like, trust me, I don't think there's a human on the planet who's worse at fighting games than I am. I was able to pull it off easily with auto assist. I had no problems. I did not die once in this. Actually, no, I did die once in the game in very late game. Um, but you, you know, you pick up these gold orbs along the way and they revive you at full health. So if you're worried about combat being too difficult for you, you can easily get by an auto assist mode with just kind of mashing the first two buttons that I mentioned. Yeah, I really love that Capcom thought of that for people who maybe have never played a Devil May Cry game before or who are typically hack and slash fans because the combat of Devil May Cry is super fast paced and it's 
over-the-top stylish, and you want to feel powerful. And I really love that they had that on. I did turn the auto assist off because there were many times where I was trying to pick up orbs, and it was like auto um, targeting me towards an enemy like across the map. And I was oh. like, wait a minute, but I want to pick up this orb that's right here. Um, so I, I turned it off for the time being, but I am playing it on um, the easy mode. And then they have devil mode, of course, for people who are experienced with the series. But what I like about it is it allows more experienced players to fully embrace the depth of the combo system in the combat, but also allows you to have fun with it. Now, I still don't like getting anything less than a B in my grades. Um, I have gotten quite a few S's now, which uh, is savage, uh, which is above A, which I appreciate. But that I know from my experience with Bayonetta, which it's crazy to me how much Bayonetta took directly from the Devil May Cry series, which I did not realize. I've been looking into it to see if they have like a producer or a director or some kind of designer overlap in the history of the series. And so far in my like quick search here, I haven't been able to find Mm. out who was the through line other than the writer of Bayonetta, uh, Hideki Kamiya. Um, Kamiya, I think it is uh, how you say Um, that name has said that Devil May Cry was an inspiration for him. But I mean, it's like an exact replica of the of the style of combat which is um really interesting and i mean not bad obviously they're both capcom games so well i mean back then it was a sega game um so yeah i'd be interested to learn bayonetta now Hmm? i want to make sure i'm not speaking out of turn here and please don't like you're wrong me i will look up exactly who's publishing bayonetta 3 there you go (laughs) i would be interested to find out you know what came before Devil May Cry what was the first game that was like that or was it Devil May Cry because I'm very unfamiliar with this whole genre so I would be interested so contact at whatsgoodgames.com inform me or yeah there is a story here and I don't know where it is it's Nintendo's publishing um the third one so maybe they've never had overlap maybe there's been no person maybe they just looked at Devil May Cry and were like hey we like this we're gonna steal it put out a game in 10 years (laughs) we can swoop in here and do this thing um, oh wait! It so, says here uh, on on Wikipedia it says Bayonetta single player third person action game. Its combat system is similar to that of director Hideki Kamiya's previous title Devil May Cry. Okay, so the director did work on the original Devil, Devil May Cry. Okay, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. The same director. Now it's all come full circle. Full and somebody circle. somewhere in their car is listening to this, going, "I knew that answer the whole time." Oh, pick me. Um, sorry about that. Anyway. Um, back to what we were discussing about the combo system being really approachable. It's, it's super fun. I'm still learning what to do. I do like how they allow you to earn the orbs, the red orbs in the game, which is, you know, your primary currency. And then you get to choose which moves you unlock, which I think is a really fun way for players to pick. Do I want to focus on aerial combat? Maybe I want to focus on, you know, um, certain types of ground combos, or I want to put all of my money into devil breakers instead. I really like how they give the player a lot of agency in the style that they want to play. I did all of the, I unlocked all the combos that are like, push, why, 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 why? I'm like, I do that every battle. <laughs> the, I think those a, are the queen combos. <laughs> something like that. That's what I always looked for. Um, so yeah, to go back on difficulty. So you have auto assist, but the main difficulties, human, which is a mode recommended for new players. And you have devil hunter, which is a mode recommended for veterans. And then you have, you unlock another mode upon um, completion of the game. So if you don't want auto assist on and you want to pull off all the combos on your own, without the help of the auto assist god, you can still play on an easier mode. So that's yeah. an option. You don't have to do 
total baby ass baby mode like I'm doing. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like all of the main stuff. And I think what's just really cool about, I mean, obviously I want to talk about the skills and whatnot in a minute, but what I think is just so cool is that someone like me who typically doesn't like these kind of games, who is so story focused and character driven when it comes to games like this, I just became so into Devil May Cry. It was just so much fun. And Jason was sitting next to me and he's like, so what do you think? I'm like, it's just a fun game. There's just the time, it's like 10 to 12 hours to completion. Um, and the time just flew. It just went so fast. I was going through chapters like it was nothing. Um, not that, you know, I think 10 to 12 hours is an appropriate time for this game. And it never felt too long. It never felt like it was dragging on. Each chapter or each mission was action packed. I was just so immersed into it. I got so attached to these characters. And I just had a good time. I couldn't stop smiling the whole time I was playing it. And it's like, what have I been doing with my life this whole time? So, the yeah. dialogue is just so wild. The things that these characters I say. Know, it's, it's so like, good. Yeah, it's just like if you go into it knowing that it's just straight up ridiculous. Yeah. It's just so weird and crazy and wacky. And that's its charm. And that's what's great about it. Then you're going to have such a fun time. And... I just like the the level of polish in the game is so excellently done. And we so rarely see games now that have this level of polish. And I really do need to, you know, commend Capcom for all the work that they did. I mean, it was really smart of them to put this in the RE engine and it shows. Uh, It looks so good. I don't think I think the only bug or weird thing I came across was one time I had a twitching enemy that I killed, like which we see in almost every game ever. You know, when you like down them and they're like still moving on the ground. That's all I saw. But other than that, I had no issues whatsoever. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's just really heartening to see Capcom releasing these badass titles that are just being received extremely well. And it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. And this game, I cannot recommend it enough. I just, I can't. It's like, like Andrea said, you know, if you expect the charm, if you liked Bayonetta, for example, if you thought that was kind of fun and quirky, I don't know if this is as over the top as Bayonetta. What would you say? Oh, I'd say they're equally over the top really? in different in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I personally prefer um, the narrative and the music and the styling of Bayonetta to Devil May Cry, but they're both really excellent in their own way. But yeah, they're both weird and wacky. And there's crazy <laughs> demons so all over the place, and you're fighting with these weird giant swords and these guns, and you're pulling off these flashy combos, and you have these crazy costumes and then there's these wackadoo side characters who come in with their quippy one-liners and it's just it's just a rip-roaring good time it's a lot of fun um i did want to ask you in an era where people are overwhelmingly concerned with value okay i take that back overwhelmingly is not the right word to use um maybe hyper focused on value and if a game is worth 60 dollars, which i think we've talked ad nauseum about how games should be should cost more for how many hours of enjoyment you get out of them. Um, did it strike you at all as a game that wasn't worth the price point? No. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. I think, obviously, if you're a Devil May Cry fan, you're going to pay the $60 for this game and you're going to love every minute of it. For me, what it did is it, and I did get a review code from Capcom, so I did not pay the $60 for this. Um, but what it did is it told, it showed me that I can like Devil May Cry, that I love Devil May Cry, that I find this charm of this game and these characters worth it. I'm looking forward to the next game that comes out. And if I hadn't played DMC5, I don't know if it would have opened the doors to other games that are similar to this. 
So I guess what I would say is if, if you look at Devil May Cry and you're like, I really don't care about this game at all. I don't care to, to get to know these characters. I don't care to immerse myself in this world. I don't care about anything. Then no, probably not for you. But if you're like, hey, you know, I think I could get into this. I've always been interested in Devil May Cry. I've just never pulled the trigger, <laughs> pun intended. And I <laughs> want to give it a shot. Then I would say absolutely. I think you're going to find yourself loving this game. Um, and yeah. I would say so. I would say, because I know there's a lot of people out there like me who have never played this before. And this is a perfect starting point in every way. So I would say it's definitely worth the value in that sense. All right. And actually, like, as Steimer said last week, it's okay for a game to be shorter. Every (laughs) game does not need to be 100 hours. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Yeah, and there's (laughs) DLC coming out and it's free. It's the only DLC that's coming out. And it's a bunch of, uh, I believe, challenge rooms where you have to defeat enemies within a certain amount of time. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not. But, you know, I, I think there's a lot of uh, content here. And the game has, I think, good replayability, especially if you want to up up, up up the difficulty. So you can get a, get a lot out of it. Go back and get your grades up and all your levels. Yeah, if you're like Andrea. You're like, badass, is it good enough for me? Oh, I just can't. I just I need to, I need to get good at the combo system first, and then we'll... And then we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. Devil May Cry 5 convo done. Now let's talk about the Zambies. Oh, yeah. um, So I put out a preview earlier this week for Days Gone. And I wanted to, of course, have a much more in-depth conversation. But had a great chat with John Garvin, the creative director at Sony Bend. If you haven't had a chance to check that out, as I mentioned at the top of the show, please do. And... I want to start, Brittany, with some um, ask of you if you have any questions before I get to some of the questions that people tweeted to me. Oh, man. No, go to the questions people have for you. Oh, okay. Uh, here I go. I talk to you all the time. Up. We should let their voices be heard. It's true. Um, first off, let me find the page. While I do that, let I- me... I just oh, sorry, say, go ahead. I want to say, it was really cool. First of all, you did an amazing job with that um, piece about Days Gone Thank that you, you posted. It was really good, really informative. And it was it's fun to see all the comments in the YouTube section in particular, where people are like, you sold me on this. I wasn't really looking forward to this. I didn't know much about this. And they're not wrong. You know, we haven't seen a lot about this game, which is coming out next month, right? And uh, I know for me, it's a number one day one purchase because I like what Sony Ben does and they're zombies. So I'm all about it. But uh, I think your piece really opened up the eyes of a lot of people who are now very interested in this game. So you should be proud of yourself, Andrea Renee. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, So I have a question here from Keylock, uh, who wrote into Dear WGG. And says, so in relation to Days Gone, I got to play it at PAX South, but still left a little weary and watched your video, and I feel a bit better about it, but I still have questions. I typically am turned off by survival games like Rust or Ark, but I'm hoping that the survival mechanics don't get too much in the way of the gameplay. When you played, did you feel like you were constantly having to do things to keep your status up to the point where it got in the way of wanting to explore or the combat? That is a great question. So one of the things that I talked at length to John Garvin about was like, what is this game? And how does the survival elements interfere with the open world exploration and combat? And the thing, the big takeaway that I got from him was everything is grounded in realism. And so you'll never feel 
like Dante, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's meant to be grounded in realism, but they also want you to be able to feel powerful as you progress through the world. So from my experience, the survival mechanics in Days Gone are not nearly as harsh as the survival mechanics that I ran into in Metro Exodus. And I think that that's a good thing because the world of Days Gone is much bigger than the world of Metro Exodus because clearly that only had limited open world instances, whereas this is a much bigger exploration-focused world. But it's still meant to be like a post-apocalyptic environment. So that means that when you start out, you're going to have to keep an eye on your gas level for your motorcycle. And so you're going to have to go pick up gas cans and walk the gas can over to your motorcycle and fill it up with gas. You know, you're going to have to keep an eye on, you know, did you damage it? And one of the things that I notice is if you take a, a, a hill too hard, if you, you know, land really rough on your motorcycle, you'll damage it and you'll have to repair it. And those are things that you're going to be able to upgrade through the encampment systems. And, the encampment systems have different vendors. One of the first camps you're going to come across is a place called Copeland's Camp. There's a guy named Manny there who runs a little mini bike shop. And what you'll notice is that each encampment has vendors that specialize in different things. So in Copeland's Camp, Manny specializes in motorcycle parts. And so that's a good place to build trust to be able to buy upgrades for your bike but then you'll find another encampment later down the line and there's a vendor there that specializes in weapons so you'll want to go there to buy special weapons parts and different types of guns that you're really looking forward to and i thought that that was interesting because there, there's a trust system in the game that i also talked to john about in the interview and i was really confused about how the trust system worked and why i would want to build trust at these different encampments and it became clear very quickly that this is the reason why because you want to build trust at the camps where the vendors have the materials that you want. So what do you want to upgrade first? And I think that that mechanic really allows for some player agency and player choice as to how they want to approach the open world. So when it comes to Keylock's question about does it impede your ability to really have fun in the open world, I would say yes and no. This is clearly you know, a game with survival elements. You can't just go in guns blazing, but it also wants to remind you that these aren't your typical zombies. These are freakers. So that means you don't have to headshot them to kill them, which I think is a fantastic feature. Um, So you can kill them by just shooting them regularly like you would any other NPC or enemy in any other video game. And there are lots of very creative ways uh, to kill freakers in this game. Because the whole idea of the horde mechanic, the thing that sets Days Gone apart from other games that are doing these post-apocalyptic with zombie-type experiences, are the hordes. And I didn't really spend any time messing around with the hordes in my, like, four-plus hours, almost five hours of gameplay that I got to experience because I was not high enough level to do so. And John actually recommended. He was like, don't – he's like, don't really try to take on hordes. Until you have, you know, upgraded magazines and you're a little bit more powerful, you have, you know, better health and things like that because they're designed to be used in a very specific way. And so you will, you know, need to pick up materials and scavenge and go in and out of buildings and craft things. But I didn't find it annoying if that's if that's the word I want to use. sounds like it's more used to base you in that realism rather than be like a solid mechanic to hinder you. Yes, exactly. I mean, because 
that's the thing about that game is that they want to ground all of the mechanics in realism. And I really appreciated that. Um, another question that we have from Parker Petrov says, Andrew, I saw you recently played Days Gone. I was wondering how narratively driven Days Gone is. As it looks like, oh, sorry, as it looks more like a more polished state of decay based off what I've seen thus far. I think that is not an accurate assessment whatsoever. This is much, much much more involved and more in-depth than State of Decay ever could hope to be. And that's not a knock on State of Decay. It's just a different It's just a different game. And what I really loved about the way that they've incorporated narrative is it feels like the narrative matters. And that's something that I was missing. A lot of the previews that came out this week focused on the fact that people like me weren't that excited about Days Gone. They were like, oh, it's just another open-world post-apocalyptic zombie game cool story bro not interested in this random biker dude who's disgruntled because his wife died like (laughs) been there done that we've seen this story before and i don't blame people you know for being upset about about that about looking at it going hey like this isn't that thrilling and that's what i think was really important about what ben did and what they showed us because they're like hey we positioned deacon st john incorrectly we want to show you who he is really and why his story matters the wedding trailer that they released i think went a long way to building that narrative foundation as to like who is this guy and what's at stake for him and in the session that i played there's a storyline called i remember where you go through these flashback missions with sarah who is your wife and you kind of get to see where their relationship begins her role in the overall narrative of the game, which I won't say anything about because it would be very spoilery Mm -hmm. and kind of where it's going to go. And I love the way that Bend blended these amazing looking cutscenes into the gameplay and you'll be out in the open world and bam, the cutscene will just start happening. And then you're right back into the open world with a very minimal loading screen now there is still a screen it's not like god of war where everything was very cleverly hidden um behind animation but they're not bothersome loading screens so i just want to make that clear i think one of the other outlets that was reporting this week said as much as 20 percent of the campaign is going to be cutscenes, and john said his golden path playthrough was about 30 hours um, for the critical story, which is a really nice chunk. And that doesn't include any of the side quests or all of the other open world activities that you can do. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot to play in this game, which I think is really exciting. And I think, you know, what I found really fascinating was people calling it like a hodgepodge of scene game mechanics, like been there, done that. And that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because clearly games take inspiration from each other and you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you make a new video game. Right. But if you are going to use tropes of games that have been done in an open world in particular in a era where open world games seem to be the popular thing to do, you got to have polish and they have to be really well executed. And from everything I played, they absolutely are. And that's what makes me more excited about Days Gone than I was previously because before when I played it at Judges Week... I was like, the world is bleak. Everyone seems sad. I don't want to be out running around in the wilderness with all these freakers chasing me all the time. But now that I've gotten a taste of this narrative backstory about what's happening in the world of Days Gone, I'm much more invested in wanting to learn what happens to these characters. I am so excited. You were just talking and I'm feeling all warm and fuzzies (laughs) in all the right places, girl. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, I mean, I've always been hyped for this, but now I'm even more hyped. Um, 
I do have a couple questions, but I can hold on to mine until you go through our. No, no, no. Um, ask, ask it because I haven't pulled up the thread yet. Okay. So when you're playing the game, does it have the atmosphere of this? Does it have any tinge of scariness to it, of horror to it? Because you know there are these freakers. Are they constantly just wandering around, or are they are they in their caves? Do you do you ever forget that this is like a fucked up, scary world that you're in? Oh, no, never. You okay. never forget. They're literally everywhere, except okay. for inside the encampments where there's these giant fences. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it, it also depends, right? So there's a day-night cycle in Days Gone. And so if you're out during the day, they're going to behave differently than they do at night. Just like the human enemies in the game are going to behave differently during the day and, and at night, much like other you know survival games that we've seen. And so the Freakers are... Sometimes isolated, you'll see like a random freaker here or there, or you'll see, you know, a pack of them. So let me pull up my notes here. I have quite a few notes, much like you did for DMC. So there's definitely multiple types of freakers here. Just in my notes, I've got reachers, newts, breakers, and swarmers um, (laughs) for different types of of freakers. So like swarmers live in nests that you have to clear out. And the nest that you find um, can be full during the daytime. Um, and at night, they empty out, so they're out running around in the world. But the nests are never truly empty, so there's always kind of freakers around. The newts are the I-have-little-kid freakers. Oh, but, no. But they call them adolescents because, you know, they don't want they don't want people kill, oh, no. killing children in the game. But they are scary, and they will jump on you. Oh, no, that's okay? the worst. Zombie babies are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the reachers are fast and hard to pin down, so those are the ones that like will run aggressively at you, uh, which is really terrifying as well. And so there's different styles of play. So f- during my open world playthrough, I was traveling on my bike from one point to another to go on this side mission, and I came across this little town, and I was like, oh, well, there's a gas station here. Why don't I fill up while I'm here, and I'll just take a look around and see what I can find. And as you're, you know, scavenging and going in and out of buildings, and you can go in and out of so many structures in this open world, I mean, going like room by room looking for materials and things like that, you're going to come across them. They're just kind of everywhere. And that's the thing that I thought was really fascinating is you can't really ever let your guard down in this world unless you're inside a safe zone like the encampments. And when you're out wandering in the wilderness, if you make noise, guess what? They're going to come running just like if you make noise when you're when you're um, scavenging around inside buildings. If there's one hiding somewhere, it's going to hear. So you can really get to kind of choose if you want to go in guns blazing, which I would not recommend, um, or if you want to kind of stealth your way through things. Well, you can go in guns blazing if you are you know, appropriately prepared. If you've got a lot of Molotovs, if you've got a lot of bullets, if you've got a good shotgun, you know, but otherwise... Like, they will overwhelm you very quickly. Now, do they scream or screech or what do they do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. When you're out and if you're walking at night, like if let's say you're trying to sneak up on like a human encampment or one of the factions where you're trying to, you know, like infiltrate or whatever, like they're just out in the woods, like hanging out and you can hear them like with their weird monster sounds all all the time. Oh, my God. I love it. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're so they're good. around. <laughs> I am so surprised that you're into this as much as you are. So is it the narrative that you think kind of pushed you in that area of, okay, now I want to know what's happening? Because the last time I feel like we talked about this, you said 
it made me clench way too hard. I mean, those are my words, not yours. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I could play this, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I'm definitely much more sold on the game than I was before. I think it helps that it's releasing in April and there's really nothing else besides Mortal Kombat that's on my radar for the month of April. And then, you know, we got Rage 2 coming in mid-May. So I'm probably going to give this a shot. Now, is this a game that I see myself doing, you know, like like 100% completion? Of course not. You know, but I'm hooked enough from what I've played that I'm interested to see where it's going to go. Now, I know one of the questions that we got on Twitter was about the bike and just how important the bike is going to be to the progression of your character. And um, it absolutely is um, important because it's your way to get around in the world. And there is a fast travel system, but they wanted to make the fast travel system have meaning. So once you unlock certain areas, you can fast travel but it's going to cost you gas and time on your bike. So it's interesting. And I mentioned that I asked him about the time. I said, the gas makes sense. Like, you know, you can't just cheat the fast travel system or the, the gas mechanic by using the fast travel to like tick down like you traveled on your bike. And I said, but what's with the time? Why are you adding time to it? Does the time matter? Because as I mentioned in the interview, when I paused the menu, it said 738 days gone. Mm. And I had never really quite connected where the title came from, like what days gone truly meant. I think we all kind of like had ideas of like, oh, right. it's like, you know, remember days gone and there's like this apocalypse and days used to be good. And I didn't realize that it was so tied to this one this one event that happens that you find out about in the like kind of opening cutscenes of the game. And so I had asked him, you know, does this have something to do with how many days gone? Because in my play session, I like counted up days as I was playing. I like spent like five days playing in the in-game time, like during my playthrough. And I was like, does it, does it matter? And he said, well, we are not quite talking about that yet. But the reason why we added time onto the fast travel is to incorporate the day night cycle. So if you if it's like close to sunset and you fast travel to something really far across the map, when you get there, maybe it's dark and mm -hmm. that's going to affect like how the NPCs in the world are going to react to you. And I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. So that makes sense. And I mean, we've seen games do that or, you know, where they, where it goes from day to night and fast travel, but I hope it's a, uh, I'm probably jumping to conclusions here, but I hope it doesn't turn out to be a thing where if you have over a thousand days gone because you spent too much time wandering around that you get penalized in some way, shape or form, like with an ending or something. I would hope not because I think that you did want to encourage you to explore the world and see all there is to see and not penalize you for that. But we'll see. Or maybe yeah, the more I days that go by, maybe certain things change in the world around you. I don't know. That's also very possible, but I did not ask those questions um, if that was going to be part of the system. I, as far as I'm aware, there's not multiple endings to the game. I don't think that that's it because he said that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. He didn't mm. indicate that there's like multiple branching paths that if you make certain choices that it's going to affect the outcome. And I'm actually kind of glad for that. Me too. <laughs> it takes the stress what? off. <laughs> the stress of having to make sure I get the good ending is, you know, it's exhausting sometimes, man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So speaking of that, do you know what's the point of side missions? Obviously, you get the narrative gratification, but do you get experience points? Do you get crafting materials? Like what? 
Yeah, so the point the point of doing side missions, of course, is to get more stuff. So okay. the progression system in the game, there's bounties, which you get for, you know, you pick up the ears of the dead freakers. The idea is that you've made an area safer, and you prove that by handing in these these freaker ears, and then the bounty, you know, gets you more um, currency and helps you build trust with the encampment. Um, doing the side missions allows you to scavenge for more materials, it allows you to scavenge for for money to buy stuff in the world. I mean, because when you're scavenging, you're only getting like cents. Oh, like you're not, you're not getting like hundreds of dollars when you scavenge. Ooh. It's like you just got seventeen cents. All those bennies. Um, yeah, I mean, because like it's you know it's the yeah. the apocalypse. All the uh, money, money doesn't have the meaning paper. it used to. Um, and then you obviously have the opportunity to find you know items and things in the world as well, and of course you know run into people. But most of the quests are tied to specific storylines and that was a, a really interesting way for them to tie the quests together which we talked about in the in the preview video that essentially imagine the overall narrative is like a horizontal menu and then there's these vertical drop down menus of the different storylines and how they tie to back to that overall horizontal arc and you're going to be able to go on these different quests and then you'll have this progression down each storyline that then will tie back to that horizontal arc at the top. And I thought that was a really interesting way to organize it because a lot of times when you're doing quests in an open world, it's just kind of a giant mishmash. Right. You know, I did appreciate like in a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, they kind of like stacked um, in the menu system like and grouped different quest lines together. But I really think the storylines feature and the way that they created that in the menu was a really unique way to do it and something that really helped me visually kind of keep them together. And by the way, the way that they use the touchpad on the DualShock 4 is super clever, and I've never seen anybody do this. So when you um, touch it, you can swipe up, down, left, or right on the touchpad to navigate the menu system. Ah. I mean, it's a little thing, but it was really kind of clever in a way that i I hadn't seen anybody else utilize it before so i mean this is a playstation exclusive like why not use those features right yeah there you go that's cool yeah um so this question from daniel uh navaroli on twitter was how challenging is the game do the hordes bandits feel overwhelming yes 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 both the bandits and the hordes feel very challenging i think the idea of it is that it's meant to be a survival-based game, and so they don't want you just running in, you Guns know, with your, like yeah, with your machine gun trying to mow everybody down. Particularly if you do that with the human enemies, you're going to die instantly. So you want to absolutely use use stealth wherever possible. And then once you have, you know, you you're, you feel more confident in your skills, because there is a skill tree system, of course, um, then you can maybe go in guns blazing. So what perks do you get by, I guess, how do you become more powerful? Is it experience points and leveling up? And if so, what do you level up? Is it just the skill point, the skill tree? Do you know? Yeah, so they have a skill tree system. You get experience points by completing quests and things like that. And so you will earn these points and then you can slot them into different skills in the perk system. Mm. And then you get to choose, you know, which perks you want and how you want to play and it's okay. it, it, that part of it's very standard. There's nothing really surprising about that. And it's it's very much like do you you can see a couple of the perks that uh, are in the menus in the gameplay that we showed in the in the preview video on YouTube. And there's definitely tons of longer gameplay demos that you can find online if you want to see more in depth. But the game is out in just over a month. Yeah. So 
I am well, so I guess excited. It's like April twenty sixth, like right? Yeah, so I guess it's like a month and a half, month yeah. and three weeks, my God. roughly. Yeah, but good. Yeah, I, I, I think like listen the the end of the day from what I've played, there's nothing incredibly revolutionary about this game. But I don't think that matters because I think what they've done is say, hey, we're going to combine a lot of these elements from different types of games and we're going to weave it together in such a way that it makes for a really enjoyable playthrough experience for people and allows us to tell a story in an open world in a way that hasn't really been done before. And that to me is the reason why if you're interested at all in Days Gone, you should take a second look at it, particularly take a second look um, at some gameplay and decide if this is something maybe you want to, you know, spend your money on. Because so far from what I've seen, the game looks really fantastic. And I hope that, you know, once it comes out that people have a good time with it. Oh, I'm so excited. Is it really pretty? It's really pretty. And somebody wrote in the YouTube comments, they're like, woof, like some of these graphics don't look great. And I want to make a disclaimer, which I wrote in the comments on the video. There are several clips in that video that's because it's like a 20-minute long video that are old trailers. Uh, PlayStation did provide me with brand new captured on PS4 Pro gameplay footage, but I didn't use all of it because a lot of it was just combat. And some of the story beats that I was talking about with John just needed some different type of gameplay that I wanted to show. And so... Not all of that footage is 1080p in that video. And quite frankly, none of it's ever going to be 4K because we never upload any What's Good Games videos in 4K. So if you are looking for a more accurate visual representation of the way the gameplay is going to look, What's Good Games is not the place to go. Sorry. Um, <laughs> go to Digital Foundry. You know, that's that's who's known for showing you exactly what a game is going to look like. Or go st- directly to PlayStation.com. I I guarantee the video that they have there is going to be a, a higher quality, uncompressed YouTube video that's going to show you. So hopefully you're not judging the quality of the gameplay based on my video alone. But the stuff that the, the new footage, the captured by PS4 Pro footage, and it's all tagged captured by PS4 Pro, looks really good. And it looks good when I played it. The cutscenes look great. I think it's important to remind people that that bend worked on an uncharted game and that shows and john even talked about in our interview about how they worked with the team at naughty dog to really enhance their performance capture for their cutscenes, and it absolutely shows so i yeah so got i was just gonna say something really stupid which is i feel like i haven't had a good zombie game in a long time and it's like wait a minute no that's not exactly what i'm trying to say you resident literally evil. just played resident evil 2 i remake. know no i'm thinking like an open world zambi like something like this and i feel like this is gonna scratch an itch for me oh my god i am so thrilled i'm so excited <sighs> i think you're really gonna like it this is like so up your alley i'm you're grunting if i'm grunting that means i'm excited and i'm so sorry <laughs> for everyone listening i know that's a very disgusting probably nauseating sound to hear but my excitement cannot be contained. they love it <laughs> do you want to talk about warhammer or should we save that for next week i would love to talk about warhammer okay. my voice just totally cracked that was really weird it's puberty all over again okay so so warhammer chaos bane is a game that is coming to pc ps4 and xbox one coming out june 4th 20 yeah th- coming out this year june 4th the standard edition is going to be 50 dollars the Deluxe and Magnus edition is going to be on may 31st for 54.99 and 69.99 
respectively. So you have these special editions. So this game is something that I saw um, being teased on social media. I think it was someone, maybe it was IGN, or someone was posting a trailer of this, and they touted it as a Diablo-like role-playing game with drop-in, drop-out co-op. And I'm like, say no more. <laughs> say no more. <laughs> I, my ears perked. Everything on me was like, okay, I am coming to, to you to find out more information. In fact, there's a beta March 7th through the 13th for all of the folks who have pre-ordered it, if you're interested. So it's developed by, I think it's Eco Software, E-K-O. They, I know them for the game How to Survive, and it's published by Big Ben. And the summary of this game is as follows. In a world ravaged by war and dominated by magic... I need some dramatic music in the background. You are the last hope for the empire of man against the chaos holds. Playing solo or up to four local... Oh, wait, wait, fuck that up. Playing solo or with up to four local co-op or online co-op. Choose a hero from four character classes with unique and complementary skills and prepare for epic battles wielding oh, some of the most powerful I'm trying to find some epic, epic music for you. Of the old world. Okay. I'll hold off on reading anymore. Is this... Is this just... Oh, perfect. This game features four-player co-op, each with a distinct class and race, action RPG gameplay with tons of gear, abilities, and more, and Eurogamer, PC Gamer, Polygon all use words to describe it. Oh, boy, yeah, let's do Too this. epic. Is this too epic? Nah, it's fine. It's perfect. They all use, uh, use We're going to get a content ID it. match. I know it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there goes, there goes our, our money. Um, like a Diablo-esque, Diablo-like, etc. So again, like, okay, let's do this. So they had a beta over the weekend, and I got to spend... it was the, the whole first chapter was available, but I spent about three hours with it. And I'm like, okay, I've seen enough to know that I'm definitely going to be buying this game day one. Okay, so just kind of running down the main features. So these characters are gender locked. So you have an Imperial soldier, Valen, a high elf mage named Alonthea, the dwarf slayer, Braggy Axe Biter, which is a perfect dwarven name, Braggy and a wolf Axe elf Biter. scout named Alessa. And so I reached out to um, the community manager because I had some questions like, why are these characters gender locked? And the reason is because these are characters based in the Warhammer lore. And so it makes sense because you know warhammer has an extensive lore and history and if you're a newbie like me to all of this then it doesn't make sense but if you're a big fan it makes sense and so i chose the imperial soldier because hashtag tanks for life and jason played with me he chose the high elf mage so i had two codes so we were playing side by side on pc and we started out in a city and the way we essentially played this game was you're in the city, you go talk to a quest giver, you accept a quest, you go into the sewers, you complete the quest, you come out of the sewers, accept a quest, go back into the sewers. And that was the majority of what we did, um, which, I mean, it got a little repetitive. It was like, okay, you did something in the sewers, now you have to go right back. So what's interesting about how the level layout works in this is the entrance to the sewers always looks more or less the same. It's the same door you're going to go through, but the level layout is different. And that's something that is going to be happening, I think, throughout the game. I try to get clarification on that. And um, he said, yes, the sewer system under Nuln is a complex, uh, is complex, different pathways, though at times you'll enter the sewers via different means. So, I mean, it's fine. It's not like a deal breaker by any means, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. Okay, so obviously the highlights of a game like this are the dungeon crawling. And Chaos Bane has an awesome and amazing dungeon crawling. There's sprawling pathways, tons of treasure chests to find with awesome loot, barrels to smash, gold to find, and lots of enemies to collect. So if you're into dungeon crawling, this game absolutely has you covered. 
And even though all the missions we did were in the sewers, it never felt repetitive um, because the level layout was always different every time we had a new quest in the sewers. And then there are also tons of enemies to kill, which is also another staple of a game like this, right? Especially if it's being touted as an ARPG Diablo-like hack and slash, right? Like, that's kind of like what you're expecting from this. And tons of enemies to be killed in in this game. So that's also a plus because it's fun because you have a lot of cool skills, which is the next thing this game does really well, um, is the skills are varied and they're fun. So, for example, Jason got off on the fact that there is a... a, um, a skill called fire breathing, which essentially let his character breathe fire out of his mouth, which is sounds self-explanatory. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is something I haven't seen, <laughs> which is something I haven't seen before in all of the RPGs that I've played. And I've played a lot. So he fire was breath. Yeah. Or like literally, I guess, th- I guess I, when you think of fire in or fire magic in RPGs, yeah, it's usually coming from like a staff or from your hands or your or, hands or something. You're not but, really like breathing the fire, no, but like literally a character kind of like, like leans forward a bit and this like spew of fire comes out and he like was a dragon, just, like a dragon. Exactly. He was a dragon mage. Um, and then he had this awesome magical orb that would ping pong around the levels that he thought was really cool. And it was actually, it, it was cool because he'd be off the, um, because we were playing on two different monitors and he'd be off screen and I would just see all these orbs like slowly like making their way to me and like destroying all the enemies and we were nerding out over that. And me as the Imperial soldier, I had, you know, your staple moves taunt, which is obviously you're drawing aggro. And then there's one where you can throw down a banner and it buffs everyone in your circle for you. There's the, you know, the whirlwind kind of slash where you get all enemies um, around you. So I would say this game and has tons of loot and by the end of it you know and the loot is all class specific you're gonna find so if you're playing as a soldier you're not gonna find stuff for a mage which is very very nice and very helpful we've seen games get this wrong before in the past and it's a little bit frustrating um and lots of gold to get i'm assuming to spend on things unfortunately because this was a beta there were some features that weren't available for example um in the town a lot of the npcs you couldn't talk to there was no the town didn't feel very lively because there wasn't a lot going on. It was just mostly you and a few soldiers, and maybe that's the way it was supposed to be because it's a stronghold. I don't know. We didn't. We weren't really given that information. But there was a merchant, and with this merchant, you could trade with them, donate with them, or do a relic hunt. And Jason wasn't able to do any of those things because he was in my game, technically. And I reached out to them, and I asked, you know, is this something I'm assuming is going to be fixed for the final game, but they didn't have the answer to that. And also, there's um, a stash you can have in the game that you can hold all of your items because you're going to get a buttload of loot. And I asked, is there... Because he wasn't able to access a stash at all. Is he going to be able to access a stash as your co-op partner? Because you can play with up to, I think, four people in this game? Um, Yeah, four people. And they didn't have an answer for that either. So besides that, though, I was able to... I wasn't able to trade anything with the merchant, so I'm not sure what their inventory was like, but I was able to donate. So he, he happily took all of my donations, and my reputation increased with him, and as it increased with him, I gained passive bonuses. So I would, you know, gain more experience points or gain more money while dungeon crawling and while killing all the enemies and doing all the things. And the way the skill placement works is every time you level up, your maximum skill points increase and you only have a set amount of slots you can have at any given time. And each skill requires a certain amount of uh, points as well as passive abilities. So in order to have those passive abilities working for you, you have to equip them kind of in one of your skill slots. The good thing... So basically, this is exactly like Diablo. There you go. 
It's a lot like Diablo in that sense. And you, and I mean, like, Diablo has active skill slots and passive skill slots, and the buffs go to your party members as well. Yeah, it plays a lot like that. I don't remember, because it's been so long since I've played Diablo. Yeah, I think, yeah, because with Diablo, you're so- constantly swapping out skills, right? Yeah, well, I... As somebody who's actively playing Diablo yeah. 3 Eternal Collection on her Switch, yes, this sounds exactly like Diablo. There you go. There you go. Yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> it's not needed. So yeah, you can always um, add in retract skills as needed. So overall, my impressions from three hours in the beta is it has all the core staples you would expect from a game like this. The dungeon crawling is awesome. There's tons of loot to find. The difficulty... I felt was well balanced. You know, it started out rather easy. And then toward the end, when we were being demolished by bosses, you know, Jason was like down on the ground. I was running around circles trying to like get my health up back up because there are infinite potions in this game and it's based off of a cooldown system. So you don't have to worry about finding potions or anything like that. You always have them. You just have to make sure you use them when the time is right. Otherwise, you're gonna have a cooldown. It'll wreck your day if you're you need it. and You don't have it. The um, I would have liked to have seen more liveliness in the town i mean when i think of a a game like diablo for example and granted like diablo is just like a behemoth of a game compared to and no offense literally anything else (laughs) to anything else anything yeah in this realm i think of you know the towns and how lively they feel and the personality and there just wasn't a lot of that and a lot of i think the core features of talking with merchants and trading and doing all that wasn't available. But that said, they have the dungeon crawling down. They have the skills down. There seemed We kind of scrolled through the skill tree, and there seemed to be a lot of awesome options that you could look forward to unlocking. Tons of loot, lots of gold. You know, you can drop items. Your partner can pick them up. So this game, is, like I said, is coming out late May and uh, or early June, depending June on what edition you get. And it's yeah. coming to the consoles and PC. And I think it's something to keep your eye on. I mean, I know I'm going to be getting this day one just because this is like a right up my alley. So that's Warhammer Chaos Bane. So I I have, while you've been describing uh, your experience, I've been looking up some details because generally most of the Warhammer games just haven't really flagged my interest. Mm -hmm. And so this game was originally announced last summer and they put out some more details back in early fall. And it looks like this is actually the first action RPG set in the Warhammer universe. But some... Warhammer fans, according to the site that I'm looking at, I'm looking at the PC Gamers article, um, says that it doesn't look like so far from what we've seen, and maybe the this beta is showing some more details, that there isn't like a lot that's inspired by the actual Warhammer universe outside mm-hmm. of the, the Chaos God Nurgle. Um, it says that it looks like a lot of the heroes and things so far that they've seen just look like their original fantasy ideas. Oh. Um, so I thought that that was kind of interesting. And um, I guess it would be good to hear if there's people that are diehard Warhammer fans that are like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Because I think that, you know, if they're going to be making something that is a departure for the franchise, that they should reach out to people like you that are really excited about this type of uh, an action RPG. Because maybe they could bring some people into the fold that maybe have never experienced a Warhammer game before. Because obviously that franchise is huge. I remember being in Tokyo and walking by a Warhammer store that was literally just an entire shop of Warhammer stuff, games and costumes and plushies and toys and yeah. all sorts of stuff. And I was like, whoa, I had no, I had idea. no idea. I was pretty ignorant of it as well. I don't know a lot about Warhammer. But then when I saw this kind of come through my social feed, I'm like, okay, go on, say more. But yeah, <laughs> I would suggest, um, you know, check it out. I don't know 
if the beta this weekend is going to be the same beta I played, I mean, I will be playing this and I will give you my updated thoughts. If you're hearing everything I'm saying and you're like, this sounds right up my alley, I want to play this, I want to get into the beta this weekend, you can go ahead and pre-order the game and get in. But, um, you know, I will talk about it later and maybe hold off on pre-ordering um, just until I figure out some of the answers to some of those questions, right? Like, can my co-op partner trade with a merchant in my game? Because that's pretty integral and I'm sure they will be able to also, you know, I didn't get to see anything outside the sewer in the city, and maybe that would have there would have been more content because after three hours, I just was like, okay, I've seen enough. Like, I know I'm going to get this, but until I have way more time with it, I just don't feel comfortable saying like, go out and pre-order so you can get into the beta this weekend. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I guess if you love Warhammer, maybe if you go love for Warhammer, it, yeah. but I mean, it's fun. We had a really good time, so I'm not saying you're not going to have a good time, but you know, it's just in good faith. I can't say. I recommend this game highly based off of the three hours I did in it, right? So, Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there you go. That's Warhammer Chaos Bane. My nerdy, my nerdy RPG kick. So that's what you're going to be doing all summer is what you're telling me. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, as long as this isn't Divinity again, I'm oh, down man. for you to try something new. Oh, my God. No, I started playing that again a few uh, like a month ago. It was so fucking good. Play that game all right, Brett. It's time to wrap up the show. All right. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in this week. Um, as we mentioned, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up in the month of March. So please join us for any or all of the content. We'd love to have you. Um, until next week, we'll see you next time. <laughs>